0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono.
1: It's another Saturday. That means it's the Weekend Watchdogs here on this uh, Saturday, of course, March the 14th. Hope everybody's doing well, and uh, I have returned with my buddy Joe Bono. Of course, if you want to check us out live or on replay, it's uh, weekendwatchdogs.com. At Mike Silva Media is the Twitter, at jbono611 for Joe, and uh, happy to be back. Joe, did you miss me last week? I did listen to the show. I, I heard the subliminal shots throughout the show from both guests and you. And uh, I, I, uh, I hope that I'm back and now that, uh, you know, you, you were jonesing for some mic and now you got it, all right? I don't recall jonesing for some mic, although I think, you know, when I don't have someone someone to argue with, when I don't have that negativity around me, I, I miss it a little bit. You know, I, I somehow, I'm too, I'm too a positive a person. Uh, my outlook is just too bright. And sunny, I need someone to, you know, be that dark cloud in my Saturday morning, and and that's you. That's me. I saw that. So I would say this: the equivalent of the show last week is Joe getting in the hammock on a lazy summer day with an iced tea in his hand. He's got turn on the Jets. He's got Chris Carino. He's got uh, James Flippin and uh, Joey Baboots over there from W O R. And the all, everything's great. Your opinion's great. My opinion's great. The Mets are going to win the pennant. The Jets are going to win the Super Bowl. The Brooklyn Nets somehow are going to take over New York. That's the equivalent of what last week's show was as I listened to it. Or you could go (laughs) the route. You could go the route that this was the equivalent of daddy's gone. The the house is there for everybody to have a big party. And it was a big party. There was no structure. There was no rules. There was no discipline. It was like a a college frat house. You could pick one of those, but that's the – I guess, anecdote, I would say, for last week's show. But you did a good job, and it's tough doing two hours by yourself. Uh, I've done that, and it's tough, especially when you're so used to getting the banter that only I could provide on a weekly basis. You do provide the banter. But no, listen, I don't think we we, we were critical, and we had to be critical of the Mets last week when talking with Joe Kersey and James Flippin. and I thought uh, we gave an accurate, you know, this was really before all the Jets dominoes started to fall so I thought we gave an accurate uh, picture of what their postseason and what their free agency could look like and uh you know and obviously the Nets say hey, I figured what's the only time we're going to get a chance to talk Brooklyn Nets basketball I had to wait for you to be gone for the week so you know we brought in Chris Carino and gave a and Chris actually felt very confident that the move to Brooklyn has worked very well for the franchise. I, I knew you probably caught I've that part, that. but um the next did. did not play It Wilson was a good interview. interview. He's a good so. guy. <laughs> I, don't I don't think they're going to be in the eight seed. Yeah, good charity work uh, that that you uh, you pointed out there. We have our buddy Nick Costos joining us this week. Who else would we? Oh yeah, uh, the week of uh, NFL free agency, which now for the last like three years, NFL free agency has has had this little period here in March where. It, it floats even above baseball. You usually don't you get that. You don't get that in March, but NFL free agency floats up. So uh, Nick Costos is joining us uh, a little later this hour. Of course, if you want to call in, first hour we're talking a lot of NFL. We'll get into the baseball in the second hour. The number is six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. And uh, I have a, a surprise for you before we kick it off talking NFL. You want to see my surprise? What I got? What, ready for this? I was gonna wait till late in the show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna show it to you now. Hold hold on one second. I got Joe. Okay, I gotta, yeah, I gotta get. Let's go. It's a prop. It's a prop. So you can gonna have to describe it to everybody. Check it out. You're
0: right. That's oh, my hat for the
1: see. day. Look
2: at that. Look what I did this wow. stuff for you. You
1: know he's wearing um the New York Islander hat. This one's been hard to find actually because it's been out of I stock. I spent fifty bucks on this sucker. It's very tough. I got it on eBay. What do you mean? You spend fifty bucks on that hat, and I get compl- you can complain about spending twenty-seven dollars on a shirt for months now. Well, the difference. you spend fifty dollars on a hat, and the for the those of you with... not, for those of you unable to see this, it is a kind of an outline of Long Island, and the Islander logo embedded in there. And it's kind of been all the craze at the Nassau Coliseum. But for whatever reason, the team store is like always out of stock. Online, they're out of stock. Um, so someone Can't purchased find it and it anywhere made, a, eBay. Can't made a find pretty penny off eBay. it. Yeah, right. cannot find it anywhere but eBay. Now here's the funny part. I, I go to eBay, I pay the, you know, pay it now, whatever they, you know, I haven't, I haven't bought some from eBay. I went to my account and I had to like re-enter a password and reset everything because it's been seven years since I've been on eBay. That's how long it's been. But it ter- turns out the person selling the hat is Brian Ernie of Metz Blog who lives in St. James, the town over so I almost felt stupid after I did the whole transaction. I could have walked over to, not walked, but I could have drove over to St. James and and saved the shipping cost. I don't know. if Brian wanted me at his house, but uh, it's interesting that six <laughs> degrees of separation that uh, that goes on. So yes, I have my Islanders very rare hat on. It's not quite broken in. It's still a little flat. Um, my girlfriend thinks it's kind of a lame hat because it has a snapback, almost like a NASCAR type of. Uh, individual, I guess everybody's into fitted hats now, that's like from a style perspective. But if it's good enough for Matt Martin to walk around in, who's to say of that course. it's not cool enough for Mike Silva here? Now, my question, and I know that here I am, I'm starting off with it. So you went to the, I saw that on Twitter, at jbono611, you went to the Coliseum yesterday, got there late, and lost your car, and saw another Islanders loss. That was your Friday night? Yeah, well, I have... I purchased a uh, five-game package here towards the end of the regular season to secure playoff rights. So, you know, oh, I so wanted to be you. part of this playoff run. I uh, wanted to, you know, certainly if they go deep into the playoffs, with there is a chance this team may go, certainly I think you could sell a game and they'll, you know, break even or even become profitable. So I thought it was worth the investment. But the games that are available through this package are a lot of weekday games. So I've sold some on on StubHub at a little bit of a loss. It was a Friday night. I said, let me me go to this Friday night game. Left work 5.15, which is early to leave the office. Got home, got changed, 6 o'clock, 6.10, in the car. Traffic, not enough time. Horrible. And people want to complain about what the commute's going to be from Long Island to Brooklyn. I'm looking across on the other side. Traffic is moving quite well, (laughs) Long Island into the city. Going from Manhattan to Brooklyn, into Long Island at that time after a, a, a work one. day is it, pretty, pretty brutal. Friday so I got there like seven 30, I got there. I was listening to the radio and Chris King on um, WRHU. And I parked so far away from the Coliseum in the Coliseum lot, but I'm talking about the last possible spot in the last possible row up against like a snow bank. I was cl- And then I had a run because I went with Connor Moore from Isles Blog, and he's just waiting at the Coliseum for me now. He's missing the entire first period. He was able to watch it on TV from that that pub that's kind of down in the basement area. So I kind of run, and I really didn't pay attention as to the exact area that I was in. And I'm running over snow. I'm jumping over puddles. I'm weaving in and out of cars. And I get there uh, just as the first period ended. But then when the game ended, I kind of made the – I did a complete – 360 on the on the Colosseum. I walked the you entire Coliseum ground. and I know you. You're getting nervous, you like I'm, you thinking of calling nervous. me to come pick you? Were you thinking of calling me to come help you? That's a little bit There were a lot of people prior to you that I would be calling uh, to come pick me up. But I was <laughs> no, just, no, there. Were still was... a lot of other cars around too, so I don't know if it's just all employee staff. Like I finally found my car after about 30 minutes. Wow. And then. They were lucky They didn't think you a housing company. They might. The cops might have pulled you over. The cops could have said, "Hey, what you doing, son?" They could have. You know, the Nassau County, the uh, (laughs) constable would have been. Now, here's where I was disappointed. One last point before the NFL part. very disappointed. So when I listened to the show last week, I figure I got the Brooklyn Nets thing. But in terms of just production, I said there's no chance that Joe Bono will not address the NHL trade deadline and the runaway train. Of the, New York Island, of the New York Rangers. The, the Rangers, I'm just blown. They beat the Islanders. There's like a big runaway train in this town. Maybe they're about to take over the news in the city. I had a little, a little uh, accessory. Listen, first off, always good to hear Soul Asylum. Second, the, the video of that is so I have, depressing. I have not. Yeah, it is. It is a depressing <laughs> so video. so depressing. Um. I miss music videos, but not always the depressing ones. But I've never said that the Islanders were superior to the Rangers. I've never uh, said that the Rangers You're aren't worried. an elite You're team. Worried. I've never said that. You're what am I worried, worried about? They're second. They're in second dream, place. They're probably not going to. You don't like the Rangers. You proved that last year when we talked about I don't like the Rangers, but this, this period of time is not going to decide ultimately what happens in the postseason. And as I said last week and the week before that, the more the Rangers win, the more of a guarantee it is that these two teams are not going to meet in the first round. So when it comes to being concerned about the Rangers, if the Islanders get by the Penguins or the Islanders get by the Capitals or whomever they end up playing in the first round, and the Rangers get by the Bruins or Caps or whomever they play, then I'll be concerned about the Rangers. Um, If there's a concern right now for the Islanders, they've lost two straight 2-1 games, three straight games at home, they faced two of the hottest teams in the league, the Rangers and the Senators, back-to-back. And uh, right now, they're only a couple points ahead of the Penguins, and the Penguins have three games in hand. So if there's a concern, it's losing home race in that first round of the playoffs. But still, if they play Pittsburgh in round one, it's a very, very winnable series. I mean, the Islanders could have beat them two years ago. This is a much better team, and I would like that matchup against Pittsburgh in round one. So my concern, listen, I'll tell you one thing, Mike. This Islander fan base, and I've been now engaged with it closer to any fan base than I've been probably in years, they do not know what to do with themselves. They are so worst-case scenario. They are, you That's why you're the perfect Islander fan. They are so negative. <laughs> they are well, so, so the negative. They're listening right you, now. They, you, would think, you would think this team has disappointed them in the postseason and collapsed year after year. Like, you would think – This was the 2008 or 2009 Mets of like, here we go again. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. This team was not expected to be this good. Enjoy the season. There's going to be peaks and valleys. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be a steep learning curve. I had Justin Bourne on, Bob Bourne's son, who writes for The Score on the podcast this week. And he said, the Islanders are like a delicious avocado, but they're just not quite ripe enough yet. And that's exactly what they are. They're not at their peak. So calm down. Enjoy it. There's time still to get right, to get healthy, and make a deep playoff run and get hot at the right time. Don't be stressing over 2-1 losses when you're still going to be in the playoffs. So if I went outside, if I went outside Nassau Coliseum with a a Yandel jersey and had that little boom box over my head like that. that
0: Yandel. 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 Yeah, Yandel. Yandel. With
1: a boom box, box over my head. Continues. About, you know, like, what's that movie from the uh, the early 90s, late 80s with the boombox over your head? He's not saying anything, and then I just play this. And I do that because, will I make it out alive? That's really the question. Do you, do you remember during the Subway series 2000? The they used to have, you know, Pledge Allegiance. I think was that the promo? It was like, take a side, yeah. by, uh, something corny. You are you going to be a Rangers fan? Are you going to be an Islanders fan? Are you going to abstain from all hockey? Because right now you're teasing me about the Islanders, antagonizing me when you just spend fifty dollars on an Islanders cap. So
2: well I like what the is it?
1: And I live in Long I- well, I live in Long Island and I like the whole Long Island thing here. Because right. I'm so, I'm not I'm not gonna be trekking side? very often to the Jay Z Center to watch the Islanders next year. <laughs> yeah. Can you please pick a side? Uh, I won three games this year. That'll be the last three games I do probably in my lifetime. Well, maybe I'll go to the uh, soon. Well, I mean, I got so, these playoff uh, rights. I got these playoff rights. Are you taking me to a playoff game? Are you taking your wife? How many tickets you got for a playoff game? I got two tickets to each playoff game. So we you wouldn't talk. take me to your first playoff, like the first round matchup. You wouldn't take me. You'd probably take, you'd probably take what's it, you know, Connor from your Isles blog. You probably would take Turn on the Jets guy. Um, you probably would <laughs> Jeff from Turn On the Jets. Um, Joe. who else would you take? Joe, me? On the Joe. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm, talking, I'm sorry, Joe. Um, I got his name wrong. That's that's after I, I spent the whole day with them, I got his name wrong. I apologize. You probably take one of your buddies or your brother. You probably take your brother if I had to take him. yes. That's who's gonna go with you to the first name, right? I'm just saying, if you're interested. When the time comes, we, we can we can discuss, we can talk. Minus twenty seven dollars, whatever the actual value is, that's what it really should come down to. I mean, now that I know that you buy tickets on e- you buy stuff on eBay. Obviously, maybe you could just go on to StubHub and and be the highest and, and you know. And what if I traded you that this double hat. face value like everybody else? What if I traded you this rare hat? I'll wash it and I'll trade you this rare hat in exchange for a playoff ticket. Would you do that? I mean, I not got just exchange for the playoff ticket, but maybe that could be part of the negotiation. That could be part of the Well, anyway, you know, here we are. We're talking hockey. We're leading with hockey, which I always say we're not going to do. And I had to get that out of Which is always so your fault. The... Which is always, always your fault. I don't it bring it up. And you Tuesday. cannot resist. Cannot resist to start needling you, within the first 10 minutes w- of the show. You want to talk about a fan base that's uh, maybe out of their minds. Is that, you know, look, it's been a fun week. And I'll tell you this, Joe. Uh, the first time I, I saw this, and it, we talk about it with the NBA in the first week of July with how that week gets, you know, captivated with everybody just talking, you know, you know, Carmelo's going here, Dwight Howard's going there. It's like here you are in the baseball season and NBA is like at the top of the list, even here in New York, at least last year. And I think it was when Peyton Manning was coming back from the injury about three years ago, I was driving down to Florida. I actually drove from here to Florida to go to spring training. And that's all anybody was talking about on Mad Dog Radio. Even Feinstein, John Feinstein, your buddy, who you had on the podcast, he was just starting at SiriusXM, was talking about Peyton Manning. I'm like, wow, I've never heard free agency week jump to the top in March. And it's been every year since. Now, that's probably because of the new CBA that they have. But here it is. 50-degree weather. We're finally thawing out of all the snow. And the New York Jets and dreams of Super Bowls in their head after all the negativity of the winter. The New York Jets now are the darlings of New York. they got to calm down a little bit. Good week for Mcagnon and Woody, really. And I saw you pointed that out on Twitter because you gave Woody more credit because Woody's spending the money. But let's calm down. The Jets are not a Super Bowl contender yet, although I do like all the moves. Um, But there's some downside to some of this stuff. There's some cracks in some of this stuff. Well, there's a few things, right? Number one, we knew that whomever the GM of the Jets was going to be was going to be the major benefactor of John Idzik not spending money last year. So to praise McCagnan and give him all this, you know, laud him for these moves, anyone could have made these moves. He's the highest bidder to Cromartie. He's the highest bidder to Rivas. This does not impress me yet. Let me see what you do in the draft. Let me see when you can do creative. I'm more impressed with trading a fifth-round pick for Brandon Marshall than I am him just bringing back Terrell Revis because Revis has always gone to the highest bidder, and he can talk about how his heart has always been in New York, how he hasn't want to leave New York. As Mike Francesa said this week, his heart's gone on a few detours over the last couple seasons. because His heart brought him down to to heart, Tampa. His heart brought New him York, to New, New England. England. Hey, give the guy credit. I'll give Revis credit. He has done exactly what I would do. And fans forget this. These guys are mercenaries. They're pawns. They're property. Even though they're people, they're property of the team. And wealthy owners are always crying about their bottom line. And Revis doesn't care. He's like, I have a skill that I can only leverage probably at best for a decade. I'm gonna do that. Now he becomes a pain in the rear end after a while and the the jokes are going around is Revis gonna hold out in camp for a bigger contract after this. But uh, give him credit. How many cornerbacks, which are not a a position that's sexy typically, how many cornerbacks have been able to leverage their skill and and make the kind of money that Revis has made throughout his career? I mean, think about that. This isn't Tom Brady. This isn't Joe Montana. Daryl So I, I, I applaud him. I don't begrudge him. I mean, I love people. I don't begrudge him either. But just don't talk on both sides of your mouth. Um,
0: I we know that what heart.
1: you are at this point. Why do you got to say that? And even in his, I don't know if you noticed this, I picked it up right away, and so did other people as well. In the picture that was released by his cousin Jimmy, of him signing the contract officially after he let the Jets beat reporters wait about Two hours on hold yeah. two hours uh, for his press conference funny. to begin. He had Steve, and I'm giving them a plug here. The Steve energy drink, which he is the brand ambassador of, was oh, product yeah. placement right in front of his contract as he signed. So it's You're always been about the money for Revis. It's smart. He's a smart businessman. He's made, you know, Nick Costos refer to him once as the soldier of fortune. And that's what that's he, what he that is. Me.
2: And, and he's again, the soldier I of I
1: really find it interesting. And this is off, off the whole jet thing, but we'll get to that when, when Nick Costos joins us in a couple of minutes. Because I was listening to Chris Russo on Sirius, and he's all down on Drew Brees, because Drew Brees, who's making twenty six million dollars, won't restructure his contract, calls him a phony. Um, obviously Jimmy Graham left via free agency. And I I get that feeling, but why should any of these players do anything for ownership? I mean, we gotta remember. Whatever 26 million or whatever millions that uh, I think it's 40 million that Revis will get guaranteed, that is in the scheme of what Woody Johnson earns, a drop not a drop in the bucket, but insignificant. It's not going to make or break him. So I never feel bad for the owners. I used to when I was younger, but as you get deeper into this thing, you know what? I don't feel bad for the owners now with the salary cap and everything. Of course, there's going to be trade-offs. You don't want to take a pay cut. You know, so be it. Let me. Here's the thing. What member of the media, and I'll and I'll say this. What member of the media, who's at the top of the media food chain, is going to take a pay cut so that some young person could actually make a livable wage? When they do that, and the person that does that, then you tell Drew Brees to take a pay cut. Do you tell Darrell Rivas not to go to the highest bidder? No, I agree. Well, fair. I understand. I understand that. No, it, it is. It is fair. I think none of us are in that position, unfortunately. Um, where, you know, a couple million dollars in state income taxes and all these kind of things uh, alter our decisions. But we don't have those kind of choices, but it makes sense, especially in NFL careers where guaranteed money is so important, where your career could kind of come to an end in a very short period of time. I mean, look no further than, than DeMarco Murray. Guy's a cowboy, and where does he land? He lands in Philadelphia. Why? Because he takes this most amount of money because he wasn't – a first-round draft pick. He didn't get huge money coming out of college. He's 27 years old. The shelf life of a running back is short in the NFL. He needs to make his money now, and that's what he did. So I don't begrudge Revis, Marco Murray, and Sue for going to the highest bidder. But what I don't like is Revis, again, you don't even need they to all say do it. about how they all Yeah, this do is it. where my heart was. I never want to leave. Just say what we all know is the case is that you were a free agent and you were true to who you are, which is a mercenary, always going to the highest bidder, and it just so happened to be that the New York Jets, thanks to John Idzik, had all the cap space, they had the money. My to bring heart back. is, he- they always should say, and if I was a player, I would say this, I and mean, this is my last point, we got to take a break because we got Nick Costos from SiriusXM coming up. My heart has always been here as long as the price is right. And I would say that. Nobody probably would like me after it, but I'd be honest, and, and, and rather than the media applauding me for being honest, they call me greedy when those guys will take two dollars to do a, uh, an appearance if it was available to them. So that's my last point. <laughs> You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, the number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. We're taking you all the way up till noon. Check us out live or on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be back with Nick Costos of SiriusXM talking some NFL free agency right after
2: this.
0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the week in sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. Aw awesome. I, came to, I pay. came to play, there's a price to pay. Tough for you to get down on your knees.
1: He is the executive reproducer of series XM sign-on sports and a teacher's NFL columnist on Beach Report where he has surpassed yet with my 18 million article reads. And he is the leader of Team Degenerate on Twitter, where he promises to make a concerted effort to remain disciplined and get back on track for March Madness. And that is Nick Costos. Nick, how's it going, buddy? What's going on,
2: guys? I am already practicing uh, my mantra of discipline today. I was just perusing some of the lines for today's slate of college basketball and I feel like today is going to be a very profitable day, gentlemen.
1: <laughs> now, Nick, did well, Nick, you bet on St. Francis the other night, St. Francis of Brooklyn, in honor of Joe Bono? Uh,
2: uh, I, I did not. In fact, I probably would have bet against St. Francis of Brooklyn if I had known about this connection.
1: <laughs> hey, Nick, before we get into Revis, returning to the Jets, the Giants bringing in the Re- Sue's contract, I have to get your thoughts first on what really was the biggest news of the week.
0: Everything about this moment feels right. And I
1: want the world to know that I love you, Meryl Shaw. Will you marry
2: me? Absolutely.
1: Chris selecting Whitney (laughs) (laughs) in The Bachelorette, your first season of The Bachelor.
2: Your thoughts? Okay, well, I think that Chris fouled this up about as badly as John Edzik fouled up the uh, the Jets offseason last year, because I think <laughs> you look at the uh, the, the last couple of girls that were remaining. Number one, he eliminated Britt, which was completely ridiculous because she was the hottest girl on the nonsense. show. I thought that was that was pretty stupid. And then he eliminated Caitlin, who was also stunningly gorgeous. And you could tell immediately once he eliminated her, he was like, oh, well, that was probably a mistake. And then I think it's, Crystal clear to me, and look, you know, I'm not saying that I'm Casanova. I'm not saying that I'm Romeo or anything, but I tend to think that I have a pretty good grasp on the male-female dynamic. And watching this past Monday, the the after show after uh, Chris chose Whitney over Becca, it was pretty clear to me that Chris likes Becca more than he likes Whitney. When she walked, <laughs> when Becca walked down onto the stage, like like you could just you could just feel it. Like he would have jumped on her if there had been no one else around them. And then Whitney comes out, and, and and look, Whitney's a very attractive girl, but it's like, girl, can you stop talking for one second, please? You could be the most beautiful girl on the world, but if you don't shut your mouth at some point, I mean, there's going to be some sort of issue. So I think that Chris really fouled this up. I don't see a future for him and Whitney. Why do I think that? because he liked another girl on the show definitely better than he liked the one that he chose. So I think that <laughs> this Nick, was a, a categorical disaster for, for our friend Chris.
1: Now, now Nick, I don't watch the show. And before Joe gets to the football point, one last thing. I'm not single anymore, but I, I was for about three, four years. I don't know if you're still single. I have two theories. Am, yeah. A, between the, the 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 Bachelorette and Sex in the City have ruined a generation of females, making it impossible for average Joes like you and I to manage a relationship because well i mean mike i think you
2: can speak for yourself mike but i am certainly no average (laughs) uh
1: so so nick obviously let's start with the jets and when mike mccagnon is done listen he's gonna get a lot of praise does he deserve all of it i'm not certain yet because i think they were pretty obvious moves and he had the salary cap space um Thoughts on bringing back, reuniting Revis and Cromartie? To me, it, it feels a little odd. I can't remember a scenario like this, especially in Revis' situation where he went ultimately to an arch rival, won a Super Bowl, and then comes back. Um, Jets feel a little bit like the scorned lover that was willing to do anything to get them back. Your thoughts on the Jets and what they've done this offseason? Uh, I mean,
2: you know, you have to give credit to Mike McKagan because for better or worse, he's the guy that's pulled the trigger on a lot of these moves. And look, Woody Johnson, it could have been one of the three of us as the Jets GM. And I think the Jets would have re-signed Darrell Revis because that's what Woody Johnson wanted to do. So I don't necessarily think you can say Mike McKagan was the impetus behind bringing Darrell Revis back. That would have happened no matter who the Jets general manager was. But bottom line the New York Jets are a significantly better football team today than they were about a week and a half ago. And you look at the moves that they made, bringing Brandon Marshall in for a late round pick in the draft. You know, I know that Brandon Marshall is not necessarily the player that he was five years ago. He's over 30 years old, but he's still a very, very good wide receiver and should aid whomever the quarterback is for the New York Jets this year. And you now have A legitimate one-two punch at the receiver position with Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. If Jason Morrow, last year's second-round pick at tight end, continues to develop, the Jets could really have something in that passing attack to go along with Jeremy Curley in the slot. And this has been a dramatic reshaping of the Jets' secondary, which has been brutal. For the past couple of seasons now, because in addition to Revis and Cromartie, who Jets fans know and whom are very familiar with, I love the signing of Buster Screen, the nickelback, the slot corner from the Cleveland Browns. He had a terrific season last year, flew under the radar in Cleveland's defense. I think he's going to be a very popular player among fans of gang green. Marcus Gilchrist comes over from the San Diego Chargers, and now the Jets can focus on the NFL draft and don't have to look at secondary as a position of need. With Calvin Pryor, Gilchrist, and now the three corners that we mentioned in Revis, Cromarty, and Screen, the defense is a lot better. It's hard to argue that the offense didn't get better with the addition of Brandon Marshall. Now they have the draft to focus on to continue to add pieces to this team. I don't think the Jets are far off, guys, from being a playoff contender in the AFC. Obviously, you need an answer at the quarterback position, but the pieces are starting to fall in place for the Jets to contend with the big boys in the AFC once they get the quarterback situation figured out.
1: And that's where my question is going, Nick. You have Geno Smith, who I have zero faith in. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, his numbers last year were deceptive because he had six touchdowns in one game, but. He can throw the ball. He's a game manager. He makes bad decisions, bad decisions for a guy with an economics major uh, from a, an Ivy League school. But, Ken, at this point in his career, at age 32, can you make something out of him as a game manager with the tools around him? They have a couple of decent running backs. And with that said, even if he is a two-year stopgap, let's say, and you don't believe in Gino, after what you saw from Mariota at the pro day, is at number six of Mariota's there, do you still bring him in? Uh, you know, at this point, what are what are your thoughts on, I guess, the quarterback situation and those two points?
2: Well, I want to start off with Mariota and the whole pro day thing, and I don't think that there could be a more overrated concept in all of sports than the than the pro day that the athlete has leading up to the NFL draft. Because look at what Teddy Bridgewater did last year at his pro day, which was pretty much a disaster viewed by everybody. And Bridgewater later admitted that he did not throw particularly well at his pro day. And he was by far the best rookie quarterback last season. And he's a guy that I think is a building block to build a franchise around down there in Minnesota with the Vikings. I put zero stock in the pro day. Did Mariota have his best day? Reportedly not, but I still like Marcus Mariota as a viable prospect coming into the NFL draft. And I don't think any team should let a pro day performance dissuade them from potentially taking a player that they like based on film work in the NFL draft. As for Ryan Fitzpatrick, man, if he's the Jets starting quarterback for two years and I'm a Jets fan, I'm going on the suicide watch because, man, I don't think this guy (laughs) is very good. I think you can maximize him because you have this old coach in Buffalo, Chan Gailey. And I'll say this about Fitzpatrick. Is he a competent backup quarterback? No question. Definitely one of the best 64 quarterbacks out there in the National Football League. Is he someone that you wouldn't mind stepping in potentially if your starter gets hurt for a couple games? No question. But is he the kind of guy that you hand the keys to your franchise over and say, here, buddy, you lead us for 16 games, take us to the promised land? Absolutely not. He's a turnover waiting to happen the way that I have written about him on Bleacher Report. He is a living, breathing, walking, bearded turnover. I don't think that he's a legitimate, viable quarterback. I would still like the Jets to see Gino, give Geno Smith a chance to win this job. And look, if the Jets did pull the trigger on Marcus Mariota at sixth overall, I would have absolutely no issue with it, and I actually think that's the move that the Jets should look to make. Bring in Mariota, hit the reset button on the quarterback position, Fitzpatrick can start the first couple games while Mariota gets used to playing in a pro-style offense, and then unleash Mariota towards the end of the season with the rest of the pieces on the roster. Again, I don't think the Jets are far off from being a playoff team, so if the Jets do believe that Marcus Mariota can be a franchise-type quarterback, I don't think there's any doubt that they should take him if available at six overall
1: serious XM and bleacher reports. Nick Costos is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at the Costos. Let's stay in the AFC East because there's been a ton of movement. Well, you know, Rex and Buffalo, they make the trade for the McCoy. They bring in Percy Harvin. They trade for Matt Castle, the Dolphins and Dominican Sioux monster contract that he goes to Miami uh, to bolster, obviously, that defensive line, which was pretty good a year ago anyway. And then a complete revamp of the wide receiving core, shipping out Mike Wallace uh, for a, to Minnesota uh, for just a fifth-round pick. Brian Hartline is gone. And then, obviously, with the Patriots, Reggie Bush might now take that role. With Vereen now to the Giants, they are losing guys in their secondary. Give me kind of your views on what's happening around the Jets in the AFC East.
2: Yeah, it's been a, an arms race, guys. It's been pretty crazy to watch here. Every team in the AFC East, you can argue, with maybe the exception of the Patriots, but that doesn't really matter because you can pencil in the Patriots for double-digit wins next season. They've all gotten better. Now, I don't like Buffalo's trade, bringing in LaShawn McCoy for Tico Alonso and then lavishing McCoy with all that guaranteed money and the big-time contract to make him happy to play in lovely Western New York. But – it's definitely fair to say that the Bills are going to be a pretty decent team this year, especially if Matt Cassel can stay healthy and play competent football. And it's like what I said last year about Buffalo. If they had even above-average play at the quarterback position for the entire season, that would have been a playoff team. And Castle's the kind of quarterback that can give that to you. Now with LaShawn McCoy rushing the football. Rex Ryan, we know he's going to pound them into the ground. Bryce Brown also running back there in Buffalo, along with Fred Jackson. Now you add Percy Harvin to go along with Sammy Watkins, resign Jerry Hughes, 20 sacks over the past two years. It's going to be a ferocious pass rush in Buffalo. I think the Bills are no worse than an eight-win team next year, and I know that that doesn't sound particularly staggering, but I think they could easily win more games than that if Castle can play above average at the position. As for the Miami Dolphins, you gotta love the signing of Indomakung Sue. I don't care about the guaranteed money. I don't care about the big time contract. Sue is a top three free agent in the history of NFL free agency, along with Peyton Manning and Reggie White. And anytime you have the chance to bring in a transcendent talent like Indomakung Sue, you have to do it. And give Mike Tannanbaum credit. You know, he's running the show now in Miami, and he's done a masterful job now shedding some of the bad contracts of former general manager Jeff Ireland, getting rid of Mike Wallace and bringing Kenny Stills in from New Orleans. Stills and Wallace, very similar players. The difference, of course, is that Wallace is making a huge amount of money, and Kenny Stills is still on his rookie deal. So you had to like that move as well. So I like what the Dolphins have done as well, and of course – Their season will be predicated on the development of fourth-year quarterback Ryan Tannehill. If Tannehill can figure out the deep ball, I legitimately think the sky could be the limit for the Miami Dolphins. That is, of course, once they fire incompetent head coach Joe Philbin. (laughs) And as for the New England Patriots, look, it hurts to lose Revis, but the beat is going to go on. Tom Brady's still there. Bill Belichick is still there. So, I mean, how can you really... Kill the Patriots too much for losing Revis when the Jets gave him nearly $40 million guaranteed. Has it been an ideal offseason for the Super Bowl champs thus far? No. You know, you cut Vince Wolfwark, you lose Darrell Revis. I still think Wolfwark will end up re signing in New England at a discounted rate, and the Patriots will win, what, 10 or 11 games next year? How do I know that? Because that's what happens every single year.
1: We have with us Nick Costos. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter at the Costos uh, Series XM. Moving over across town, uh, the Giants they made some interesting moves in terms of roles. Uh, you know, a lot of money to be made you know, on special teams and and third down uh, running backs or receiving running backs. I should have I should have got into that profession. But Dan Graziano <laughs> on ESPN New York actually uh, fielded a, a, a Twitter question, and I'm wondering what you think about whether or not Kotlin and his extension, but the lack of. Uh, stability in terms of who will be running the show over the next two, three, four years. Will that hurt the Giants in free agency? Has that hurt the Giants from getting maybe an impact player? Uh, Your thoughts on the Giants' moves and maybe that point that Graziano talked about, I think either yesterday or earlier today.
2: I I don't necessarily think that's the case, and and I think that's the kind of point that you can take, you can look at on the surface, and you can certainly you know, spin a point in that favor. It's something that could at least be an argument could be reasonably constructed to prove that point. But I don't think that's the case because I think the Giants and I legitimately believe this. You know, you guys know I grew up as a Giants fan, but I've come on the show many times and have crushed the direction of the New York Giants. I'm not gonna do that right now because I really and truly believe that this team is on the upswing. I loved, loved guys, Capital L O V and E, the signing of Shane Vereen What Vareen does now is bring an added dimension to that backfield. You have two thumpers in Rashad Jennings and Andre Williams. And I've said it on the show before, guys. I'll say it now. The three of us had as many catches at Boston College as Andre Williams did in his four-year career there. He cannot catch the football. Rashad Jennings is an average pass catcher. But I think you feel confident handing the ball to both of those guys and pounding it behind this offensive line. Vereen is an elite, an elite, not a good, not a great, an elite pass catcher at the running back position. He caught 12 passes in the Super Bowl, guys. The New England Patriots do not win the Super Bowl without Shane Vereen. And I, and I don't think that I'm, I'm overstating things by saying that. That is a legitimate statement. So I think that Vereen will add a lot to this offense. Catching the ball out of the backfield, he's going to be an outstanding third down back for this team. I love the signing of Shane Vereen. Now, you can raise your eyebrow a little bit, JT Thomas, Jonathan Cassius handing Dwayne Harris all that guaranteed money. But I still think that this Giants roster, as currently constituted right now, is one offensive lineman and one pass rusher away from contending for a Super Bowl championship next year. You might be saying, how is that possible? Well, the formula for success under Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning has been threefold. Protect Eli Manning, run the football, and rush the opposing passer. If the Giants can import an offensive lineman early in the draft, I'm thinking Brandon Scherf out of the University of Iowa. He'll be this year's Zach Martin. He's versatile, can play tackle or kick inside interior at guard. If they can get an offensive lineman, solidify that offensive line, pound the ball with Jennings and Williams, Vereen catching it out of the backfield, Odell Beckham Jr. and Victor Cruz at the wide receiver position. I think Larry Donnell underrated at tight end, and then you bring in another pass rusher as well. Get at that opposing quarterback. I think that the Giants right now are a sleeper team in the NFC. I think Eli Manning will have a huge season coming up, year number two, under coordinator Ben McAdoo. I think things are looking up for the New York football Giants. Don't be surprised if and when they win the NFC East in 2015.
1: Agreed. I think the uh, the Giants, too, are on the uptick, provided that, They can solidify the offensive line and get safety figured out. Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and Chip Kelly. Uh, I think a lot of people had their thoughts as to what direction Chip Kelly would take this team, and he's kind of taken them in every direction at some point, it seems like. I know you were a big fan of the Nick Foles trade bringing in Sam Bradford and what they received back, um, and obviously now DeMarco Murray. So now that it's been – a full week and the picture of what Chip Kelly is trying to do is starting to form. What's your thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles? You know, it's, it's so funny. You bring
2: up what my original take was on that Bradford bowls trade. You know, I did sort of tweet destroying the Rams in that deal, but there were a lot of conflicting reports about the compensation. And it really goes to show that, you know, people are out there on Twitter you're trying to be get be first as opposed to being right, because there were a ton of conflicting reports there. Once the dust sort of settled a little bit, and look, I don't think Nick Foles is the second coming of Joe Montana by any means. But the fact that the Eagles gave up a second round pick in next year's draft to bring in a quarterback who we've barely seen on the field over the last couple of years, I think that's the one move that Chip made that I'm kind of, eh. I don't really understand that one completely unless this is part of an elaborate plan to uh, to draft, to trade up and draft Marcus Mariota at the top of April's NFL draft. Because guys, can you really go into a season where the microscope is going to be on the Philadelphia Eagles really and truly like it never has before now with Sam Bradford and Mark Sanchez on your quarterback depth chart? That's the one thing that truly gives me pause here, because I love the trade of LaShawn McCoy for Kiko Alonso. I love the signing of DeMarco Murray. You bring in Ryan Matthews as well, and you add them to a backfield that already has Darren Sproles and Chris Polk. That's going to be pretty good. They really improve the defense. I like signing Byron Maxwell. I mean, look, was he the fourth best player in Seattle secondary last year? Yes, but we're talking about three all pros also there at the position. So I think that argument against Maxwell needs to be thrown out the window. I think the Eagles have gotten better as a football team over the past week. I think people are killing Chip Kelly because what Chip Kelly's doing has been different and people don't really get it. But again, it all comes down to the health of Sam Bradford, if he is indeed their, their plan moving forward. At the quarterback position, if Bradford gets hurt again and misses extensive time and Mark Sanchez has to be the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, this team will go nowhere next year and that will likely spell the end of Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. So I think that forget about all the other moves that Chip has made. He has put all of his eggs into the Sam Bradford basket, and we saw that that almost got Jeff Fisher and Les Snead fired in St. Louis.
1: Nick, last one from me. Uh, New Orleans, I know the ownership situation, that's a little wacky. Clearly they're in a rebuilding mode, but are you surprised about what they did and now with Breeze, I think he's making $26 million. It's not going to be easy to move him if he doesn't do something with that contract. I mean, what's the future with Breeze there? And, and that, if you remember, that was your Super Bowl pick when you came out with us back in September. So how the mighty have fallen.
2: Oh, oh I am well aware that was my Super Bowl pick. People don't, usually don't let me forget that one. That was pretty bad. And, you know, I think, guys, that there is a better chance Of me taking out Britt, Caitlin, and Becca on a group date than there is of Drew Brees (laughs) taking one cent less in 2015. I mean, you can't really construct a bigger phony in all of sports than Drew Brees. This is a guy that when CBA was being done in 2011, the Saints made him an offer to make him the highest paid quarterback in the league, more than Peyton Manning, more than Tom Brady, and he demanded more money than that. This is a league where guys like Tony Romo and Tom Brady annually restructure their deals to clear up salary cap space to help alleviate cap concerns for their team. And what does Drew Brees do collects every single last penny each and every year. So that's why I thought it was funny when Drew Brees came out and said, Oh, I'm surprised that we traded Jimmy Graham. Oh, really? You're surprised drew. Maybe you should restructure your damn contract to try and help your team out because they're in the throes of salary cap hell but why would drew Brees do such a thing like that and as a result now the saints are forced to blow up the entire operation they clearly went all in on last year the signing of jairus bird the former bill safety last offseason i think was indicative of that and it blew up in their faces and now they're forced to go on this rebuild here but i'm not as down on the jimmy graham trade as most people are i think max unger is a terrific player the center that they acquired And I think you're going to see New Orleans with a newfound commitment to run the football with Mark Ingram. They signed C.J. Spiller yesterday. Are the Saints going to win the Super Bowl next year? Hell no. Are they going to win their division? Most likely not. But I think that this is a necessary step for Coach Sean Payton and General Manager Mickey Loomis. Because right now, guys, they are operating with an albatross around the neck of their salary cap. And it's Drew Brees and his absolute unwillingness to give back one penny of that deal that he held them up for back in 2011.
1: And Nick, since we know that you are quite the prognosticator, we are on the road to WrestleMania. The Undertaker facing Bray Wyatt. Is it possible for The Undertaker to lose two consecutive matches? I mean, is this as much of a sure thing as anything you've seen, that The Undertaker will come come out on top in Santa Clara in a couple weeks?
2: Uh, if I'm booking WrestleMania, guys, you know, when you look at wrestling, right, what is everything set up to do? It's set up to make money, to draw money, to try and attract as much attention and create as much buzz as possible. If The Undertaker comes back and wins at WrestleMania, for me as a wrestling fan, a lifelong wrestling fan, it does absolutely nothing for me. You know, what story does it tell? Does it does it cheapen the fact that he lost at last year's WrestleMania to Brock Lesnar? Now, what I would do. Given the fact that WrestleMania 32 next year, guys, will be at Jerry World, Cowboy Stadium in Dallas, could arguably be the biggest WrestleMania of all time. Certainly from an attendance perspective will be a ton of buzz around the event. I think that what you do this year, you have The Undertaker come back and you have The Undertaker lose again.
1: Mm. And then you have
2: have a year-long storyline where The Undertaker has now lost twice at WrestleMania in a row. His career is most likely over. Will he ever get the chance to win again? And then you build the storyline of him coming back for one final match in his home state of Texas. Now, they wouldn't say that because he's listed as being from Death Valley, but I think that smart fans will, (laughs) will, will know that. So The Undertaker comes back at WrestleMania 32. Maybe he fights and gets revenge against Brock Lesnar. Maybe he beats John Cena. But you build to next year with two straight losses as Undertaker's final match and I think that's something that wrestling fans would plop down their money to see. So I think if I'm booking WrestleMania, I have the Undertaker lose to Bray Wyatt, and then you have an entire year to build the Undertaker back up as the sympathetic challenger heading into what could be the biggest WrestleMania of I all time. It. Number thirty-two. I love it. I want to see.
1: I want to see Nick Costos on The Bachelor. That's what I want to see. That's the. Well, do it you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. We I mean, we talked about group dates. I think a group date should be the three of us at WrestleMania in uh, Arlington next year. So that's a well, Arlington. Well, that's a that's a that's a big commitment for me. I don't know.
2: <laughs>
1: you, I would certainly, gentlemen, be
2: down for that. I would definitely buy you a beer, Mike. And you know, before you guys let me go, I, I was curious, Mike. You said that you felt that The Bachelor and Sex in the City really have ruined things for the average Joe in terms of dating. I would have loved to hear, like, your rationale and your explanation for that. because I completely Oh, let me tell agree.
1: you, Nick, I got to tell you, you, you don't have two hours of stories. Next time I see you one-on-one, I could tell you when I was single and dating, um, bigger, better is, I think, what Sex and the City and The Bachelor have done. No matter what you do, there's always something new out there. But, again, Nick, I'm the average Joe, and you're not, so... I don't know if we could actually have that conversation. <laughs> you, you know,
2: I I don't necessarily I, I wouldn't take that as an insult, Mike, as more of it's me propping myself up as I as I always do. But you know what we'll do, Mike? When the next time that we that we have actually never met face to face, am I correct? No, in we have that? not. I don't get invited
1: oh, to the wow. Fordham get togethers. Because I'm the Saint well, John's you know what? guy. I can't go to the Fordham get togethers, you know?
2: You know what, Mike Mike needs to come to the next get-together that we have, Joe. Trust me, they don't happen too frequently. But the next time that we get together, Mike, you will absolutely be there. And we are <laughs> going to sit down, Mike, because in the eventual, you know, if it comes to pass that you are single once again in your life, I don't want you to have to suffer the way that the quote-unquote average Joe <laughs> suffers. So what we will do is sit down, and I will dispense some of Nick Costos's patented advice to get women, which has worked for me for a long time. And my friend, I'm pretty sure that it can work for you and can work for anyone else as well. Maybe we should, <laughs> next time I come on, we should do a Guide to Dating in New York City with Nick Costos. I think that would be I a think they gentleman. should.
1: I think they should bring back the Cosmo channel and Nick Costos should have a show. That's all I should say. That's there all we I can go. <laughs> it should be the Costos channel. All right, Nick. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a good March Madness. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. And by the way, to any degenerates out there listening, North Carolina minus two-and-a-half tonight against Notre Dame. Lock of the millennium. Let's go.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Nick. I wonder if Mojo agrees. So I'm sure Mojo will have, when he comes on later, a comment about Nick's pick of the week. Because Mojo's had a bad college basketball. I could tell you, talking to Mojo, he's had a bad right. college basketball season. Listen, but I'm serious. Basically, for next year, my younger brother, Nick, um, is engaged and his wedding is in May of 2016. Right. And in right. part, I think that date was selected because he wants his bachelor party to be in Austin the weekend of WrestleMania, and then we're going to take a car from Austin to Arlington, and it's going to culminate in WrestleMania, Mike. So we're going to go, all right. We're going to be there. I need that weekend off, by the way. I won't and be Costos able to do the show. Is be... But I, I... <laughs> yeah. I guess we... if I come, I guess there's no... we have to give the show to Mojo that at that point. It's wow. Mike it's the weekend watchdogs. No Mike Silva, no Joe Bono. It's Jim Mojo Morrison. Can we trust Mojo with the keys all by himself <laughs> uh, on the show? That might be, that's, that's I might be I might not want to listen back to that those production those production efforts. All right. Hey, let's take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to the weekend watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. If you want to chime in, uh, we're talking NFL until eleven o'clock. The number is 646-716-8187. And of course you can get the show live or on replay at weekendwatchdog.com. We'll be back right after this. Nick's beat writer for the New York Daily News, Frank Gaisola, joined the Weekend Watchdogs. Maybe it wasn't the plan, but maybe this is the best thing. They're bottoming out. They could get a top pick, like you said, and eventually, in the next two to three years, rebuild this the right way. I understand Carmelo's limitations and the age, but maybe this was the best thing overall, even if it wasn't the plan. And I know you don't share that opinion. But you got to at least give some credence to that thought.
0: I just laugh at it because I think, you know, you know what the, um, the movie or the Broadway play, the producers, is when like you know, they're trying to come up with the yes. worst play possible to go out of business, <laughs> and then it turns out to be a hit? The Knicks are like the opposite of them. <laughs> Bill thought he was putting together a hit. Instead, it turns out to be a disaster, and everyone's like, "He's a genius! Look what he's doing!" We're gonna get a lottery ticket we'll all this cash That's the part that makes me laugh about it. But I think it is the smart play right now, absolutely, uh, to do what they're doing. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with. It.
1: Listen to the Weekend Watchdogs every Saturday, ten to noon on Blog Talk Radio. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Bringing you back here, uh, Weekend Watchdogs, on this uh, rainy Saturday, March the 14th. And yes, Joe, uh, if you must know, uh, I was at dinner on the Thursday night in an Argentinian steakhouse, and I get a text message and I think, is it Joe maybe giving me a show update? You know, is it Mojo with some kind of comment? Is it a family member? Is it my girlfriend? Is it a business realist? Well, it was kind of late. It shouldn't have been a business text, but you never know. It's Frank Isola. And Frank basically really? giving me yeah. Giving me Phil Jackson quotes from earlier in the day at UCLA. Um, texting me and telling me uh you know what an uh, an abject failure Phil is and how idiotic I am along with other Knicks fans for believing in this guy. So it's another uh day wow, Frank, a... Frank and I continue we have like this like odd text message. It's a very relationship. odd relationship. It's a very odd relationship. <laughs> He's not a bad guy. I mean, I'll give him credit. I've, got, I've gone after him pretty hard, and he's blocked me, and I'm still blocked on Twitter from Frank Isola. But we have uh, – I think you said something, <laughs> and I thought about it. I think we have more in common than we think, and I think you said you that. You do. And uh, Well, why do you say that? What was your rationale behind that? What, what, what makes you think – because we don't agree on Phil at all, on Phil Jackson, I should say. But I think in general the two of you both enjoy going against the norm and what the popular opinion is i think you like being on that island and you like getting that feedback and that hysteria and you want you i think you crave the (laughs) anger and angst of others and i think you feed off of it at both of you i think i think when you put something out there when you hit send you're going this is going to really rile people up and that's that's why i think you two are so that he now he doesn't circumvent you, by going on Twitter, he texts you directly and says, this is going to get under Silva's skin. I'm going to tweet right. him this. I'm going to tweet him right. that. Right. Yeah, he does. You you know. Know, the fact that Frank Isola on a Thursday night's thinking about me, it could either be very flattering or it could be scary. At FISOLA yeah. NYDN if you really want <laughs> to talk to him directly on Twitter. Because I can't talk to him on Twitter. But I get a more personal connection than anybody else. I, can just try. I bet you if I texted Frank, you know, he usually gets back to me pretty quickly. But I've gotten texts from Frank like at 5 o'clock in the morning, like responses. And I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, it's Frank Isola. One day my girlfriend's like, who's texting you at 5 a.m.? I said, that's Frank Isola. She goes, who's Frank Isola? I said, that is a long story. <laughs> what, um, has he given you any feedback on my producer's promo? You know, I, I, I haven't sent him the, I don't know if he got it because of the whole, um, Twitter block and stuff like that. But it's brilliant. I thought it was really good. That, that was uh, your creative juices got going because you could have went a couple of ways. You could have did the whole Cold War angle, with I soul and I breaking bread. But everybody said, who has listened to the, the interview, that his line about the producers was a laugh-out-loud line, and I have to agree. It was a laugh-out-loud line. I mean, Frank's it's, a funny guy. If you listen to him on hey, TV, I'll give him too. credit. Him and, and I'll give him a lot of credit. I'm critical of uh, Sirius' NBA channel from this point that they put too many former players who have uh, you know, dead energy on the air and they think I want to listen to Jerry Stackhouse or Stacey King because they played professional basketball. I want to listen to people who, if they played professional basketball and articulate it in a way that is interesting, I want to listen to them, not because they played professional basketball. But Frank and Mitch Lawrence, and we've had both now on the show. Uh, I think Mitch was on with you and I back in maybe October. I think they do a great job in the morning, and I think they're a natural tandem. Now, they think alike, but Mitch, and you, and you probably have heard it when we've interviewed him, Joe. Mitch has like a little bit of a dry sense of humor where Frank is a little bit more biting. So you get a lot of that throughout the whole you know, four hours from 6 to 10 on NBA Radio. Highly recommend both I enjoy, I enjoy Frank Isola immensely on Twitter and in everything he does. I think he's funny. Listen, one thing you could say about, about him and his views is that he's been consistent with them throughout. He hasn't wavered. It's been the bias Um, point. I mean, you just got, it's hard with how much he's been through and not, look, I don't think it's been all his fault. I mean, he just, but I separate the the two. I separate the two. I don't think necessarily his point of view on Phil Jackson and the Knicks and their current state, even prior to the season starting, was that much impacted by what's happened with him between him and the organization and the public relations staff in years past. I think it was a fair view Some of it I definitely agreed with, and a lot of it he's been proved correct. (laughs) And, uh, you know, to that producer's analogy, the Knicks and Phil Jackson are benefiting now from a plan that was never their plan. Now, at the same time, salary cap in the NBA is going up, and the fact that the Knicks are going to have all this room, there's going to be more teams with the value, with available cap space, there's going to be more competitiveness for. Top large free agents, so you know it's not like the guarantee. Just because the Knicks have cap space, that they're going to get big time players. You heard about Marcus Gasol saying he's going to likely stay in Memphis, so that's one guy that could be scratched off the list. Most likely, we'll see what they do in the in the draft, but um, it's going to be entertaining to say the least. The best over the next few <laughs> The best months. line. The best line, and I could sh- I don't want to share everything that he texts me, Frank, but I could share this. The best line is, "How does it feel?" And this means to me to you and all the Knicks fans that you get bamboozled by a SUNY college dropout, meaning Jim Dolan. So basically he's like, the college <laughs> dropout is smarter than all of you. <laughs> so I said, I just, I don't know what to respond to that. I'm like, well, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree, and we'll see what happens in 12, 15, 18 months. That's all I could say. The owners in this town are... I mean, and we'll They're get into the wool ponds, but the owners in this town are unbelievable. Well, Woody, give they Woody are... credit. Give Woody Johnson credit. I mean, he stepped up. He spent money, and you know, it makes you wonder why there was such a holdback the last couple of years. I know that the free agent class wasn't what it was in prior years that it was this year. But here's an interesting point. I want to go into two quick NFL things, and if you do want to call him, the number 646-716-8187, if in this Jason Cole of the Bleach Report, I remember was saying this to Richard Neer a couple of months ago when he was doing the GM interviews, uh, when Isaac was hired, that's Woody Johnson. The first question was, How are you going to what value are you going to get for Darrell Reeves? You weren't getting that job if you weren't trading Darrell Reeves in, in that prior interview session. If he had re signed Darrell Reeves, who was hurt and has had to resurrect the, his career under New England and the Belichick in New England. You've got to wonder what the feeling would be of Rivas today if he had stayed with the Jets through that transition period. Would they have been negative about him, and would he have been allowed the benefit of the doubt to get healthy and improve? Whereas now he's coming back, he had his bad issue, He had his issues in Tampa, he, you know, he basically rehabbed himself in New England, now he's coming back with, well, that's the Darrell Rivas we know. Might not have been the same if he had stayed this whole time. And I was thinking about that. If Woody had no, today, I will right, we'll resign him. No, it's you very true. It's very true how it would have possibly played out. Let me get your thoughts on this because I actually received some some harsh feedback on this analogy that I put out there on Twitter after Reva signed. And again, I didn't mean it from an emotional connection standpoint, but I thought of it, and it was the best analogy I could come up with. If you have a better one, please call and tell us. Or Mike, maybe you have one. I said that this was like Patrick Ewing leaving the Knicks and going to win a championship with Jordan, Phil Jackson, and the Bulls, and then returning to MSG a year later. And people were like, well, you can't compare Revis to Ewing. And I understand that because he was the heart and soul of the team, and Revis was never beloved the way Ewing was. But I was trying to create a a scenario where what other arch rival has accomplished as much as what the Patriots have, the one-two punch of coach and top player, and I couldn't find a better connection or analogy than the Chicago Bulls and the Knicks. It's not, ho- it's not, to what it's the not Jets horrible. And the Patriots. It's not horrible. It's not, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a horrible point. And if you remember, Corey Griffin of NBC, who was on our Super Bowl week with us and is a Jets fan growing up, said it was painful to watch Revis. We asked him, if Revis wins the Super Bowl with the Patriots, he said it would be painful. And I'm sure it was. Now, I don't think Revis as impactful and as, uh, uh, you know, from a historic standpoint in Jets history, he's a top five Jet probably, I don't think he has the impact on the Jets that Ewing had on the Knicks, but it's not a bad analogy. And I, it will be interesting. And, and are the Jets a Super Bowl contender? Nah, they're probably not. Um, I did find it interesting that Nick was that high on the Giants. And even though the Giants have had issues the last couple of years, Coughlin has found a way to get them into that you know, seven-win, which is a no-man's-land vicinity. But they haven't collapsed. I really thought the Giants were going to collapse and be one of the worst teams in football this past year when things were going bad. And they rebounded to a certain degree. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised how bullish he is. I think I, I agree with him. I like the Marine move. I mean, they spent some money on special teams players. Um, but, I mean, unless you feel Eli Manning, because of, like you said, an offensive line is going to return to, uh, I guess, former glory, you have to be concerned that, I mean, to call him a Super Bowl contender with what you've seen from Eli Manning the last couple of years, I don't know. I mean, but he's got weapons. You can't. Eli Manning had a very, very good year last year, Mike. I mean, you look at his stats. That probably is the second best year that he's had in his career, maybe outside of 2011, 2008. He wasn't as prolific, but probably had the least amount of uh, turnovers. The the ground game that year was dominant between Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw. Uh, Question, as I mentioned in the interview with Nick. Question for the Giants remains: offensive line, and now the safety position. You know, they let Antrell Roll, who had a very good interview, a very passionate emotional interview with Joe and Evan. Uh, If you're a Giants fan and you haven't heard it, go to WFAN.com and check that out because, you know, he never holds back any punches. And he talked about his whole thought process, and you got the vibe that it really meant a whole lot to him of being a New York Giant and being the leader of that defense. But they let Roll go. They came in at the very end. According to Antrell, with an offer. Raheem Moore of the Atlanta Falcons was a target. He doesn't decide to go to the Giants. So now you have this kind of void at safety where even before the start of last year, they had Antrell Rowe, they had Stevie Brown, they had Will Hill, they had all these guys. Uh, Brown at times got benched last year, Rowe is gone, and Will Hill obviously went off to the Baltimore Ravens. So those are the two biggest holes, I think, for the Giants. And now they're sitting at number nine in the draft where. The Giants' mindset and the thought process of of their front office, whether it be George Young or Ernie Acorsi or now Jerry Reese, has been best available player. At number nine, there's a chance. You look at some of these Mel Kuyper boards, Todd McShay, Amari Cooper, the wide receiver, might be available at nine. And you don't know exactly what Victor Cruz is going to be coming back. Ruben Randall's going to be at the end of his rookie deal. Would you take the best player available and take and create an all world young wide receiving core in Cooper or Beckham? Do you try to maybe if he's on the board and someone really wants him trade down, or do you just take the best offensive lineman in the draft at a tackle? You move Justin Pugh over to guard. You move Richburg now to center. You have um, Jeff Schwartz coming back and then you have Will Beatty at left tackle and that's your offensive line. So just like last year, people were debating really like whether or not the Giants would nine? do. You think a lot of people have. A lot of people don't like taking that wide receiver that early. You know, it's oh, a the Brandon, Marshall, last year, think the Jets would pass up. You think the Jets would pass him up. I mean, the Jets could. You know, you look at what you know. They have uh, Decker, who's slot guy, right? You have Marshall, who's no short sure thing in terms of, you know, behavior and what have you. And then you have Cooper. You could do the, You could make the same argument for the Jets with Cooper if he's there at six. No, you could. You could make the argument. I mean, because Brandon Marshall Even is if not going a Especially if you're not a Mariota believer. Especially if you're not a Mariota believer. That's the thing. It yeah, I don't how know much. where the Jets go. I don't know where the Jets' absolute need now is. Because they went from negative amount of quality defensive backs to now too many. Uh, superfluous right. amount of defensive backs. You know, he right. mentioned screen Cromarty, Marty Rivas. Don't forget, D. Milner, their first-round pick from two years ago, is coming back from injury as well. So he's now, now fourth on your depth chart. I mean, Kyle Wilson's gone, but Jet fans are happy about that. So I'm not sure where the Jets go. Maybe offensive line for them is important. You're going to have to face Sue twice a year. Maybe you want to bolster up that interior defense, offensive line a little bit more. Uh, but defensive line is a, is a, is a stretch, uh, a strength. The only glaring weakness is quarterback. And Absolutely. if Ryan Fitzpatrick oh, well, is a quarterback for the next two years, it's going to be a problem. The the only thing I'll say about Fitzpatrick, and I'm not comparing apples to apples, um, Vinny Testaverdi was a, was always a tr- quarterback that made a lot of mistakes and f- was drafted much higher. I know he's not Fitzpatrick's career was not cons- in the same uh, class as Testaverde, but Testaverde came and had a big year under Bill Parcells. And I'm not suggesting that Fitzpatrick can be the same type of quarterback, but if he could be a game manager and you could reduce the mistakes and maybe somehow coach and get into his head, and I don't know if you could do that at age 32, that, hey, you know, if the play's not there, don't force it. Uh, you know, with a good running game and with some tools at receiver, I, I think there's no other option. I mean, are you really, you should have a quarterback. If it's Geno Smith and, and Fitzpatrick, you should have a fair competition. But there's no indication that Geno Smith's going to win that job. Why? Because he politics with, with Brandon Marshall by texting him? And Because Brandon Marshall says he works hard? Oh, really? He works so hard that he didn't even know what time it was in San Diego. I mean, let's get real. After all the <laughs> –
0: well, after
1: all after – all, I mean, you'd think those guys that have been around that know what Geno Smith is about are going to buy into him as the, as the quarterback and the leader because he had some you know, wild game the last game of the year in Miami when it didn't matter. But you have he's a dug fair himself competition. A It's hard to, as right. a young quarterback, you make a good point, Mike. As a young quarterback, when you've had the two years he's had and the majority right. of that offense is still guys that have been around to see it,
2: right.
1: it's hard, man, to come in all of a sudden right. to training camp and be a different guy because you're being right. pushed a little bit and people are really buying And buy he's got it. weapons. I love how people say he's got weapons. You know, you could give me Jerry Rice, uh, Demarius Thomas, uh, Brandon Marshall on, on my, uh, as my wide receivers. I'm not going to put up any. 300-yard games I can't throw. Now, I'm not saying I'm comparing myself to Geno Smith, but Geno Smith has shown no ability to read defenses. Uh, He hasn't shown uh, any ability to uh, be accurate when he has had uh, players open. I mean, he can run the ball a little bit, but if if you look at Fitzpatrick, so can Fitzpatrick run? I mean, he could get 200 yards uh, in a season. So that's my point with that, and uh, it will be interesting, and we'll see what happens. So anyway, let's take a quick – go ahead. I know I was going to say that, you know, I was throughout last year, I felt that Ryan Fitzpatrick was, was the perfect guy for them to bring in over Michael Vick last year because I felt I like agree. that was the guy that you wanted to be there, a guy that wouldn't be threatening Geno Smith for the top spot, a guy that the fan base wouldn't be clamoring for, but a guy that could actually be serviceable if needed. Um, so now you've created that scenario this year, probably a year too late, if I'm the Jets and I'm at six and Mariota is there, man, I mean, that is a tough, tough decision, especially after you've already you have created trade a quarterback position by you know, getting you the draft, him, you could, you could trade them if you, if you want. I mean, that might be where that becomes an asset that you could improve the team. I, I, look, Chip Kelly was very clear. I love this press conference earlier in the week that, you know, Bradford's the quarterback. We brought him here to be the quarterback and he's not mortgaging the franchise for Mariota just because he went to Oregon. But um, who knows? I mean, you know, it, it'd be very interesting. Now, if you draft Mariota, I mean, I guess you keep Geno Smith a lot as a third-string quarterback or backup. And you, it's I don't think Fitzpatrick's coming here to be a third-stringer at all. You're saying your second-round pick from a couple of years ago is now, you know, pretty much I'm a sorry, dead I'm roster right. spot. I mean, a He's lot of met, times you don't even Jackson. make the third quarterback active, so... You know, all of a sudden now you have three quarterbacks, three guys that have started, two guys that have started in this league, one guy that's a top six pick overall. Uh, It creates a really interesting position. But, again, if you go through pro day, you go through your interviews, and you really love this guy as a player, and that knee and that question mark is still there on your roster with all the holes you've filled already this offseason, how do you not take him? No, it's a fair point. Hey, you're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. We're taking you all the way up till noon. The number is 646-716-8187 if you want to chime in. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to talk some baseball. And I continue to tell people that if you know baseball and if you want to know how to build a team, you should, first of all, have listened to me and and understood what I was saying all winter when it came to the New York Mets. But if you don't know baseball, start to pull up a chair, and I'll educate you right after the break. We'll be right back. Sandy also better stop lawyering people because I'm tired of the responses. You know what? He, you know what? Either you demand excellence or you don't. Oh, we, you know, I said we were 90 wins as a goal, but you know what? It was really just something to strive for. You know what, Sandy? I'm not on trial here. Okay? Stop. This team is dead and you've taken a good opportunity with some good young pitching and you're pissing it away. Have hope. You know, it's like 1984. Oh, really? Stop with the amazing and believe, and you know what? You want to live in the amazing and believe world? That's fine. You're going to sit with you and the 5,000 other desperados and i behind Collins. Ooh, which, let me tell you something. Did Terry Collins inspire you? Even at the post-game conference yesterday, you sounded like an idiot. They could not have picked a worse candidate out of all the people they interviewed back in 2010. You could not. I could have asked my dog to go and drop his ball in a bucket, in this four buckets, pick a bucket, and that guy's the manager of the Mets, Mike Dog would have probably picked a better manager than Sandy Alderson. Did. Weekend Watch Dogs, Mike Silva, uh, Joe Bono. Taking you all the way to noon, 646-716-8187. WeekendWatchdogs.com for the show live and on replay. Quick question before I can make my Mets point. How is it possible that you could give 110% to the weekend watchdog Joe and talk NFL when you're tweeting out Islanders quips on Twitter? I know multitasking. It sounds like you're are you focused on the show or are you too busy dreaming of another Isles Blog podcast? And you can't get enough of it. Mike, made some roster decisions, lineup changes for, this, uh, for this, this game tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. Ryan Strom, healthy scratch. And Lubomir Visnovsky he's going to take a, take a break at 38 years old. And, and Matt Donovan is going to be back in the lineup. And Matt Donovan has been idle for months now. So Jack Capuano changing things up now after two consecutive losses at home. Well, there you go. so and'm I'm, I'm sure if you went there, you could get there in plenty of time for the game and maybe actually pay attention to where you parked if you want to leave right now. So there you go. <laughs> now, here's the thing, Joe, and I listened to your uh, to your roundtable, and I, when I was listening to it live the first time, I, I happened to tune right in when uh, Joey Baboots from Wr, um Joe Kersey, the re- executive producer for Mets Games over at WR, and he had to say this because of me. When he said, he thinks Terry Collins is a smart guy. When he said that, I was like, I said, I'm done. I can't, I can't listen to anymore. Because that, that to me is almost like coming into my home and peeing on my rug by saying that when you come on my show when I'm not there. <laughs> but all winter, <laughs> all winter, I kept telling people, I said, look, you know, Sandy Allison says, we, 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 well, the fans would say, we have to trade a starting pitcher. We have too much starting pitching. I'm like, oh, calm down, guys. Calm down. You never have too much starting pitching. You have Bill and G at $5 million, which is a very reasonable price tag for a starting pitcher who can be number three on a good day, no worse than five, give you six innings, three runs. Oh, what are you talking about? They got Matt, they got Syndergaard, yeah, they got Montero. All unproven. Oh, they already got five starters, you know, because you, you know that Harvey's ne- never going to have a setback, and you know that Wheeler's going to stay healthy, and Colon at age 4,000 is going to stay healthy, and 4,000 age and 4,000 pounds. And here we are, not even St. Patrick's Day, and I've been proven right. I thought it would take maybe till like April, May for my perspective to finally hit home with the masses, but it didn't even take that long. Saint Patrick's Day has not even here, and I've already been proven right with my position on not trading, starting pitching, and this silly notion that the Mets have too many starters. They don't have too many starters. We're gonna they have the don't. same argument. Like we do every single time when you bring this up, it's not what? like There's they no traded argument. Dylan G. Mike, but they didn't trade the guy. If they traded the guy and everyone was happy that they moved him, and now this is happening, and then you said, "You see, this is why you don't trade Dylan G." The Mets put it out there in the market. They didn't get back the return they wanted for a guy that they value, and they kept him because the depth at starting pitching was worth more to them than was than what was being offered in the market, in the trade market, in the offseason. So I understand that you were right, correct? I give you applause. But at the same time, the Mets weren't wrong in this situation because Dylan G is still on the roster right now. I mean, everybody couldn't wait to ship him to Texas a week ago with (laughs) you, Darvish.
2: I'm like, but I guess what
1: bothers me is not the Mets. It's the mindset of the fans that, like, we had too much starting pitching you're sure the Grom and Wheeler and Harvey are going to perform as you expect. They're just, they're penciling it in. Here's the thing about the Mets. And I, am not, I'm not trying to be negative because there is a lot more optimism and I'm looking at a Ble- bleach report did kind of a projected 25 man roster. And I look up and down the lineup and here's the only point I'm trying to make. And I'll start with the pitchers Wheeler. You have, all right, you want to check him off for at least what he's done in his first two years in the league or a year and a half. Fine. Nice. Line, you probably could get you know number three type of performance out of that, even though I think he's going to get hurt. I think you know what Drew makes a lot of Drew from Bayshore that calls and makes a lot of dopey points sometimes, but this was actually a good point. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to um, love that comment. It was he does he makes a lot of especially when it comes to the Knicks, he makes a lot of dopey points. But when he brought up the whole um, Adam Wainwright's first year post Tommy John, he made a great point. You know, Adam Wainwright won 15 games, had an ERA at 3.90, and, and and it took him some time. Everybody's body's different. Everybody's different. And, and you, you saw, because everybody figured Harvey was never going to give up a hit all year, that he actually is human in his second spring training start. So the happy Harvey Day, we put some cold water on it. The Grom, I mean, again, I only have a couple of months worth of sample data here. I don't know. And then Cologne is 40-something, is and like you saw with Tom Glavin, that you just don't know. So my point is this, is that there's no, there's no guarantees. This isn't Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox after five, six, seven years. That you could say up, oh, check, check, check. I mean, this is there's a lot of maybes here. You go up and down the lineup. a maybe. I don't know if Duda could repeat. You know what you're going to get from Murphy. Wright's a question mark. Flores is a question mark. Kadir's a question mark. Was the health. Lagaris. Okay, maybe you okay. want to. Say I agree can with all of that, that, Mike. I agree with all of that. I mean, but I got question marks less, all over the place. Here. So where's the you know where is that I'm being, I'm being realistic. Are, but are there less maybes this year? Both in the lineup and in the pitching staff than there were the last two three years, and this team won seventy nine games with a ton of question marks without Matt Harvey a and a ton division. of other things going wrong last year. Is in the division going to be any better this year? It's going to be just as weak, if not weaker.
0: No, so you, can't say you got the Washington,
1: and people think Miami is like a better. So at least now, how many more two games can you possibly lose against one. Washington than you did last year? You know, they're just as them. bad against Washington. They still won 79 games last year. The games against Miami are always critical games to the Mets, but the Braves are worse. The Phillies are just as bad, if not worse. So why is right. it the opportunity for the Mets there? And the optimism Mets fans feel this year, I think, is warranted because you have a team that won 79 games last year, and you're adding Matt Harvey, and you do have better pieces in that bullpen. Now obviously left-handed reliever we'll get into that with Josh Edgin, but you do have better back end pieces than you did last year when Kyle Farnsworth was making the team. And you have less questions up and down the lineup. You have true corner outfielders now in Kadir and Granderson. You're gonna get better offensive reduction from Flores than you did Tejada. You know, you know Lucas Duda can hit thirty home runs. Now I know we went through that with Ike Davis, but I think his overall approach at the plate is better. So you would expect if there is a drop-off not for it not to be as significant as it was with Ike Davis. So I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Again, your starting pitching depth question is warranted, especially when you're reading in the paper yesterday about you know Zach Wheeler having elbow tendinitis and Big Black going for an MRI on his shoulder, and everyone goes up and on. I, I received three separate texts last night and then again this morning sending me article links about Wheeler and Black, Asking me if I right. should be concerned, well, and an yeah, hour he later, should be, but that, I should be concerned. Should but be. an hour later, Zach Wheeler says it's just the same kind of discomfort I felt last year, and I pitched through it. And Vic Black's MRI comes back negative that he's fine. Sure. There's no structural and damage. you to give him some rest. I said this, and you can go back and read scouting reports, not from me, just in general. And he's, his mechanics have improved since they acquired him from San Francisco. But Zach Wheeler doesn't have great mechanics. He's gonna earn hurt his arm. It's eventually going to happen. And the fact that he's this young and has this few innings under his belt and he's already got tendonitis, is a concern. That's all I'm saying, is that you have to have some depth here. Now, you do. But has look good. Uh, Syndergaard's been inconsistent. I'm not saying that those guys aren't options, but we haven't even seen them pitch one big league inning. What really does annoy me, though, and this is where it, it's hard for me to embrace some of the optimism, is that I told everybody, and I've said this, is that if you want to do these you know, scrap heap battles for the 24th or the 25th guy on the roster or bring these guys to camp as AAA depth, there's nothing wrong. You should be doing that in the way that the economic times are with baseball. But the fact that you have Edgin as your only established lefty, and there's another guy who only did it for a couple of months, you bring in all these scrap heap guys, and I'm looking at the guys, your own free agent, Dana Evelyn, you couldn't bring back. Um, Tom Gorzolani signed for a million bucks for one year for the Tigers. You couldn't bring him in? All right, you don't want to go to Zach Duke route because Zach Duke got $4.5 bucks a year from Chicago. I understand. I'm not even saying you should go after Andrew Miller, who got a lot of money. But I look at this. Joe Bimal got a minor league deal with, um, um, with the, the Rangers. You have uh, Wesley Wright with the Orioles got $1.7 million. If you can't find in your budget, and this is where Sandy Alderson really ticks me off. Well, the performance didn't match the salary. So, Gorzolani, who may not be worth a million bucks, which is really not a lot in baseball, is good enough for the Tigers who are in the playoffs, but he's not good enough for you. Which then just, just tells me you don't have the money. Which, if you heard the stories that came out now about this new biography about Alderson, the Mets don't have the money. The Mets do have a budget. They lie, they lie, they lie, and Sandy lies again. And I know he has to, that's just what his boss wants to. And basically said, well, we have the, the room to go above the budget. Well, no, you don't, because there's guys that you needed and you didn't do it. Guys that would have minimally. Now, if they traded Dylan G, maybe they would have been able to bring in one of those guys. That's pathetic. That's pathetic. So how are you going to compete? But if you're going to guarantee... the optimism. But it's not a minor league deal, right? You're going to guarantee these guys major league contracts when you feel Josh Edgin might be a better dollars? option? A million at dollars? At the expense you're of who, Mike? Move on. At the expense of who in the roster? It's no, not a minor league uh, invite to camp. I'm just saying... You're going to bring in someone like that on a guaranteed major league contract, and give him a million bucks I'll, I'll, at the expense. I, I can probably of guarantee you, there's somebody. I'll bring up the Mets roster before the the the, 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 the days out, uh, the show's out. I guarantee you. I'm just somebody saying, you mentioned those out. names and the way Josh Edgin pitched last year. I much rather would have gone forward with Josh Edgin than no doubt journeyman left hander. No doubt, but yes. you should have now had listen. two lefties in a bullpen to the beginning. Their with. depth, their depth was or is, you know, Sean and Martin. Scott Rice, and you know if Jake Leatherstitch can ever find the strike zone, that's their depth. Well, Love is just never gonna. I mean, that is no indication that that's 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 on the table. I mean, I can tell you right now, Wilfredo right Tovar now, no. could have knocked off the. Wilfredo Tovar could have been knocked off the roster. I don't think that that's going to kill anybody. You know, you could even make the argument. On the, the forty-man roster. Yeah, you, I know you whole thing. You need to look. Dario Alvarez. I don't know what the deal is with this guy. You know, I rather have. Gorzolani or someone than Dario Alvarez. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying is that we could go and we, can, we could take the point, well, what did you want the Mets to do? There was a lot to do. And if you really were serious about making the playoffs, I think you should have done that. Now, can you get a lefty situational reliever at some point in July when, when and if you're in the, the race? Sure, I'm sure you could find somebody. But all those games that you lose in the interim that may come back to haunt you, why do that? Why not just go into the season with the best team possible? That's it. I mean, that's my whole point. Now, does that mean that I don't feel optimistic? I'm excited. I hope. I, I do want to see them do well. It, it it concerns me that if they do get up to a good start, I still think the manager stinks. And I, I mean, every Joe, he's because well, the end of you arguing That on was Twitter my big point last week. Well, that was my big point last week. Um, if yeah, you've been that. saying the manager stinks, this is the year that hopefully you'll find out if he stinks because he's gotten away with making bad decisions when the team and the fan base is pretty much resigned to the fact that they're not going anywhere this season. And even though you might blow a 3-2 lead in the seventh or eighth inning because he mismanaged the bullpen, you go, "Eh, what's the difference between finishing 18 back and 19 back? I hope we don't have a top – I hope we have a top-ten draft pick. That way it's protected. I mean, that was the thought process of the fan base. Let's see if they're actually independent race in August and September, and he makes these moods. Moves and he feels the wrath of the media and the fan base. How he responds.
2: So if, well, you, the want, media if looks, you want, the media if looks you really want, if you want Terry
1: Collins out, if you want Terry Collins out, the Mets have to actually have some success and expectations for him ever to create a scenario where he'll get fired. Here's the other part, and you see you're falling into the trap. But I'm going to try to save you before you fall. Of course I thing. am. Yeah, save me. Throw you me the. Falling. Throw me I'm the life I'm throwing Throw me the you give this whole idea. Well, you can't control arm injuries, and I understand what you're saying. But that is like such a foolish statement in one sense, because you can do things that would maybe not guarantee you that you'll have an arm injury, but that would maybe mitigate it. You saying that you, ca- you can't do anything, you can't blame the manager, and the pitching coach for the arm injuries in the bullpen, is like me telling you, you know what, Joe, your car's gonna break down, you're gonna get a flat tire. You're going to be on the side of the road at some point anyway in the life of the car. Drive through the potholes. Drive, be hard on the brake. Drive 90 miles an hour over a rough road. doesn't matter. You're going to wind up getting hurt anyway. Mejia, Black, Amelia, uh, Edgen, Burdak, Feliciano. I'm just off the top of my head. Feliciano. All these guys, especially Burdak, who was basically used, abused, and thrown away like a rag doll, were, were, were hurt. One or used, if they didn't get hurt because of utilization, were continued to use when they were hurt. And to me, if you, are, if you have a hernia issue, well, that's not an arm. You don't think he has to compromise mechanics and other parts of his delivery to compensate for the pain in his hernia? Of course he does. So why was he out there? Why so they could win 79 games, we could save Terry's job, and the Wilpons could try to sell season tickets? Nobody's, nobody's coming to the ballpark in 2015 because the Mets won 79 instead of 72 games. Once you're in the 500, it doesn't matter anymore. That's the point I'm making. And you fall right. Oh, it's
2: not. Of course, it's
1: their fault. I don't fall into Well, you chat, think it's look, look around Major League Baseball. Listen, you're close to the Mets. You're close to their system. You know the players. You know the history. I bet you take half of the teams in Major League Baseball and go through the amount of arm injuries that have happened to their. Starting rotation, as well as their bullpen, and the numbers, the plus-minus between where they are and the Mets will not be of a large variance. It just won't be. The, the Yankees bullpen. I mean, bullpen, Jacob, I DeGrom, get Jacob deGrom, Jacob DeGrom uh, had Tommy John surgery. He got drafted as a shortstop. Sure. I, look, Tommy John Matt Harvey, surgery. Matt, 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 Matt Harvey had can, Tommy John surgery.
0: So look, you're you are talking an
1: was an overused Pedro Feliciano right. was an overused Scott entity, Rice. but he was an overused entity prior to Terry Collins being part of, well, of the Mets was there. organization. Warthin was there. Yeah, Warthin is part of Scott Rice. There's another guy. They just you know they just throw these guys out there, and part of it. Let's put it this way: Burdick was the only lefty they could put out there, so they had to use him. And this is not just about going into games; it's about warming up. It's about having a feel of 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 your of your bullpen but you gotta, having a plan. But you have to. But you have to compartmentalize. Pedro Feliciano and Tim Burdack, people watch them get up day after day, game after right. game, you know, get up, not get, not pitch, come in, you know, right. be on a pace to break all kinds of records. Right. And you can say they over them, they were up too often, they were used too much. But why, But then when Josh Edging gets hurt, you can't use that to kind of fire up your argument. You have and, to you wonder. Know, but you have to wonder. And the front, Cause you, Do you remember last June, year, was it like June? The Mets were up like seven one in a game against the Marlins, I think it was. And and Familia had pitched quite a bit that week, and he brought him in the ninth inning to pitch. And I'm like, you can't find somebody else to hold a six run lead. You got to bring. I in remember that. No, I remember that. You remember I'm like, not that, 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 that's the problem. That doesn't have. But I'm not disagreeing you that he mismanages the Bolton, and there are certain left handers that have been abused in the Mets organization pre and post and during you know, Terry Collins, and probably will be after he leaves. But my point is you can't look at every arm injury. You can't go Matt Harvey, Hannibal Wharton. Josh Ed, Edgen, Hannibal Wharton. Vic Black,
2: yeah, that's, Hannibal that's my Wharton.
1: You know, that's my I mean, line, Zach, Wheeler's got a, Zach Wheeler's got a blister on his hand. Hannibal Wharton. I, I'd just rather have Wally Backman and Frank Viola on on, in the dugout. And I think that'll eventually happen. Part of me wants to see them get off to a slow start. and like, Not too slow, but like be like five games under June 1st so we can get these two out of here. Because that's the only way it's going to happen, to get these two guys out of here, is that if they get off to a little bit. And let me tell you something. If you think, and I know the Mets brass, I think it was Adam Rubin of ESPN, reported this. They, they said that the Mets to the bullpen, Steven Matt's to the bullpen, lefty is not going to happen. Maybe later in the year, if you want to put them on innings limit. You put that kid in the bullpen as a situational lefty for Collins and Worthen, Make the appointment. He's already had Tommy John surgery. He's had arm injuries. Make the appointment now. Just put get like if I'm if I'm Stephen Matz's agent, I call Doctor James Andrews the minute he gets put in the bullpen, and I tell Doctor James Andrews, right, "What dates are available in March of 2016?" Just put it in. He already ha- here's another guy. He already had his Tommy John surgery. Right, Matz. He missed we'll the whole another final one with those season. guys. That's not. And Mike Silva goes, Hannibal and does it again. Hannibal And here's the other thing. You know, it's funny, and I'm not a big, you know, Yankee guy, but a couple of things about the Yankees. Have you they not? have had a very quiet <laughs> – they've been, a. They've been like, off the radar in the news, like, other than A-Rod. A-Rod doesn't even count because that's page six news. But since the A-Rod stuff died down, have you even seen between um, the NFL free agency, Happy Harvey Day um, – Daniel Murphy, and, and I, I was so upset we missed last week. There was so much to talk about last week. Daniel Murphy's comments on sexuality. Um, the Islanders and Rangers have actually popped up a couple of times to the front page because of the, the deadline. Uh, the Knicks, and seems to be with Phil Jackson, anytime Phil speaks, seems to be at front page. The Yankees have been pushed to the side this spring. Like no other time before. Don't you agree? Other than A-Rod, it's like there's nothing to talk A-Rod's about. A-Rod's the only sensational type news uh news that comes out i mean tanaka obviously is a huge positive for them i think okay there was and when we said up. it and yankee fan, a lot of yankee fans believed it too they made the wrong decision by going the recovery route as opposed to having surgery rest and recovery and he looked great in his spring training performance uh 19 pitches yep. 15 strikes two perfect innings so that's a huge positive for the yankees so it's just quiet optimism with some guys coming back healthy. I know they've had the Capuano injury uh, to his quad. That's kind of been the right. one injury mark. But yeah, it's been a bit of a ho hum type of spring training to this point. But no, the, you but know, look quietly, at the Giants and the but look at the relationship between the Giants and the Jets. It's it's similar in that in that in that realm because. Giants can make a questionable move, or something can happen that's minor. But because they have the track record of winning and stability, people go, "It's minor." But the other franchise does it, and it's we're gonna, you know, we're gonna then rip this apart, we're gonna tear it up, we're gonna mix and match and weave and carve and make the message and tailor it to whatever argument we want to make that makes the Mets look bad. And there's Mike. I know you have your criticisms, and they're fair, but there's certainly. A lot of that in the media and the fan base that any little thing they do, they will twist and turn and make it look bad. I mean, from a positive standpoint, Curt Newenice has had a good spring, so it looks like he's locked up a job off the bench. Um, Wilmer Florence is hit, and he didn't play a great field at times, but you're going to have to hope that the hitting will trade off with the defense. And, um, you know, if if guys stay healthy, I don't think the bullpen will be that bad. I think the lefty situation is a problem. Maybe one of these kids steps up, you know, Bill Martin, Alvarez, Rice, you know, he's not a kid, but uh, Pop- Bobby Parnell will come back. So you could conceivably have Parnell, Familia, and, uh, and, um, and Mejia in the back end. And, you look, know, you can get creative. You can bring, I think they, there was uh, some stats about Carlos Torres, who is mean, another guy who should make a, 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 there was another guy that they abused. I mean, you remember that whole thing called? Every day, it's just Carlos Torres, Carlos Torres Torres, Torres, Torres Why? Because he's a journeyman? You know, screw his arm? He's the, the guy deal. a lot but of people, people think, based on his numbers and his type of pitches he throws, they think that he'll right. probably be used more against and, lefties and look, Joe, this year. Joe, this, really this is not the first time. I mean, Bobby Valentine ran Turk Wendell into the ground, and he wound up having arm problems after the Mets traded him. So it's not like this is the first time this has happened. Um, that team needed a strong bullpen and had to go to the bullpen quite a bit because they're starting pitching with light. So I'm not suggesting that these are the first two guys to, to do it, but that was also 1999 that that was happening. There's a little bit more um, sense now because the the cost of arms has gone way up, especially middle relievers since then. Well, you got to be a little bit smarter, especially considering Familia and Mejia are home own guys that you could control for a few years, and it's not going to explode your payroll. You would think that they would have... A little bit more of a of a plan. I just don't have any confidence in these guys. But look, there is some positives, and I'll tell you what, the Yankees. I don't look. I think Tanaka will will get hurt because when there's a tear, <laughs> it's not going away. <laughs> Maybe not this year. Joe, it's inevitable. So if I walk around with a a, a, a car park that's frayed, oh, you could drive with it. It's still, You don't know think the car is eventually going to need, you know, to be replaced? I mean, and then the Yankees act like he's Lazarus, like he's a, a saint. That is, all of a sudden, well, there, he's fine. Come on now. I mean, to me, Lazarus he was he a saint. I think uh, Lazarus arose from the dead. He was never a saint, Lazarus. Well, yeah, Lazarus. I guess his arm rose from the dead. Their bullpen is solid. They got some interesting arm. They got, look, they've got Justin Wilson. They got uh, Chase and Shre- Shreve. I think it's Shrev, Shreve, Shreve, Chase and Shreve. Maybe the, I think it was our buddy Jed Weisberger from, uh, you know, the cover the Trenton Thunder was tweeting out earlier. Maybe the Yankees and the Mets could get it together on a, a left-handed trade. I don't know who the Mets would trade. I don't think it'll happen. You know Hey, listen, the Yankees questions still are around, even with the positive news of Tanaka, the questions still remain around that rotation because now Capuano is gonna be out probably for at least the first month. So now you have a fifth starter situation which wasn't great with Capuano. It's now gonna be Adam Warren, Chase Whitley, Brian Mitchell, one of these guys. Um, you know the prospects well, everyone, you know, he's not he's not ready yet.
0: Yeah, but Ivaldi
1: again, he's never pitched on this kind of a stage and his he's kind of short on results at the major league major league level. You want to say maybe he's in the Mets rotation. That's just as big of a maybe, if not bigger, in terms of what Ivaldi's done. And then, you know, Nova's not going to come back, and when he does come back, it's Tommy John surgery. So again, more question marks there. And then Sabathia, you know, people have their question marks as to even if he's healthy, how good can he be at this point in his career? Not, so it's not the Yankees are very easy to not to be an eight. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I Yankees, mean, yeah, I mean, the Yankees don't have a, a bad over-under. Under? Kind of what, what, oh, was wasn't like like the Mets over-under a little bit higher than the Yankees over-under? The yeah, game? Game? I mean, I think it's just yeah. it's the narrative. I mean, not having the splash. of the, if the Yankees made one big free agent, like, I mean, I know they did really with Andrew Miller, but they had made one big move that would have potentially gotten people to maybe get more excited about them. But they're not bad. I mean, you look at the lineup, and there is a lot of question marks. The depth... If Arod could pop you 15 to 20 home runs and spot Garrett Jones at DH and spot Hedley at third, I mean the thing is this: if Beltron can't give you better performance and Tashera continues to play softball and McCann gives you sub, substandard play, the lineup is a little bit light and there's really no other options to go down. But that you could say about the Mets. I don't think the Yankees pitching is all that bad. There's questions and is hold your breath with Pineda and Tanaka, but the bullpen to me is solid. Girardi knows yes. how to manage Open the bullpen. Talent. And Girardi knows how to manage the bullpen. I respect him on that. Um, I don't think easier,
0: having options easier, like Easier, though, in the
1: American game. League. Easier in the American sure. League. Sure. Yeah, it's easier, but you could still do it in the National League. I mean, these two... Listen, Joe, Collins would have no idea what's going on. I don't know. I mean, Terry Collins, to me, I still <laughs> don't get it. I just don't get it. Other than the fact that Fred Wilpon is friends with Sandy Koufax, and Sandy Koufax likes Terry Collins, because God forbid Sandy Koufax gets mad and doesn't show up to Port St. Lucie for a week. You know, that that's really a reason to keep an incompetent manager at, at at front. Look, I'll give him a just some job. I'll give him a chance, and I will be the first to praise him if he does well, but there's nothing in the process in the last four years that tells me that Collins is I don't there. I don't think I don't think he'll be first. <laughs> Something I'll tells me he might one not online. be first. The first one online. And what, I, what and, and I'm glad that in this book that came out about Sandy Alderson, Baseball Maverick, and maybe we could get the author on at some point. We'll try. I, I forgot about that book. That was something that I, I had seen a couple of weeks about in January, I think it was. I saw it was coming out. But shame on the local media. And I know the beat reporters, their job is just to give you the lineup and the facts, so, so to speak. That's what newspapers want. But the fact that it's so clear that the Mets have been restricted in movement and everybody knows it. And Howard McDell has written about it, who doesn't cover the team day in and day out. But nobody who was around that team day in and day out had the ability to at least, or the guts or the newspapers that cover them, had the, the want to put it out there to address this on a more consistent basis and had people believe that this whole austerity budget was part of a plan. Shame on, 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 on journalism in this city. And I've been saying that for a while. And I never understood it. You don't think they poked in pride? You don't think beat Not writers enough. have poked around in the last four years? They've gotten the same answer. So if you're there day in and day out, and well, you know the answer but has anybody in, done, it's different than a guy who's writing an independent them. book or a column and that goes in for a specific reason because they know what they're going to be writing. A beat writer is... You're going to answer those questions, questions. When, they're, when they're on top of mind. Have the, have the beat writer... I mean, they could have just called Howard and, and had an interview with him. But they didn't do that. Well, you know, because... In their eyes, like, well, what makes him right? I mean, he's – give the guy credit. He delved into court documents. He did a lot of stuff that if you're a sports writer, and I myself wouldn't want to do it, is like more business and law. And Howard used to cover politics many years ago, so he has a little bit of an advantage where he understands the inner workings of some of this stuff. But, I mean, that's my only point. And then comes out and denies it, I and mean, it's like, come on. I really wish I was in that group. I would raise my hand and say, Sandy. I don't can think tell me. he denied so, it, Mike. I think if anything, he said he that denied. he said those type of statements. At that point, he he said he's alluded to those comments several times. But he lived. The only the thing that came out of that book, the, book that, the thing that came out of that book was most surprising is that the Mets actually had conversations about Robinson Cano. That was the thing that was most surprising. Yeah. That yeah. they would have they spent two hundred million for they had Cano. dinner with Jay's. They weren't gonna. That's 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 like me saying. That's like the hot girl telling the nerd. Yeah, I really wanted to hang out with you last week, but you didn't call. Yeah, all right. I believe that. I mean, is that, is that, a, is that a actual – No. Does that happen to no. average Joe Mike? No, I am not, but I'm not a, the kind of thing we're talking up? about? No. No. All right. I, I have a lot more to get into. Uh, By the it's way, 1140- funny how you so. and Costos – Costos is going to give you advice. I'm the only happily married man out of the three of us, and no one's
0: asking well, you know, no, what no, I, no, I listen, did. Listen, I'm
1: – I'm in a committed relationship for over a year I live with the girl. I have no issues. So it's not like I, I can't. I've learned a lot. And she's helped me. She's, she's calm. She's, she's, uh, she's pointed out some things I needed to work on that I sometimes... You know when I knew she, when you guys were serious? I knew you guys what were serious when I got the, I got the Christmas card. And you guys, names are both signed oh, on the she Christmas did, did card. she really send you a Christmas card? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> didn't know that? <laughs> no, I didn't know. <laughs> that must have been her choice. She is. She asked me all the, you know what? Now it makes sense. She says, "Where does Joe live?" And I and I kind of I texted her your, your address. I didn't even know why she asked that. Maybe because I don't know. Oh wow. Sure. Oh, should Merry I take Christmas. it down now? Because I have it. I have <laughs> it still. It's The only one I haven't thrown away. You haven't thrown? No, I, I knew that. I was just joking and playing with you. Hey, let's take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. The number is 646-716-8187. And uh, we're taking you all the way up till noon, and uh, we'll take your calls on just about anything. We'll be right back. Legendary Boston Globe columnist Bob Ryan joined the Weekend
0: Watchdogs.
1: Is the game worse? Is it different? You know, What is your opinion on where the NBA has gone?
0: It's still the best basketball in the world with the, with the best athletic basketball players, and the coaching is phenomenal. Uh, it, it, the defenses are sophisticated. It's hard to score in this league now. What I don't like about the game and why I don't like it as much as I once did, but I still like it is the, uh, the, the three-point shot has completely taken over the game. It's distorted the game at every level. I, I I would I know it's we're never going to get rid of it, but I, I just don't think it's been a good thing for the game, uh, and it's caused the style of play, uh, and that it's not as enjoyable as it once was. The, the, the disappearance of true post people uh, is a, is a problem, uh, and the biggest biggest thing is the the lost art of the true fast break.
1: To hear guests on the NBA and more, tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs every Saturday 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. The most magnificent. Mojo. Marvelous. Mojo. Magical. Mojo. Memorable minute of your morning.
0: Oh, God, please. You guys don't have enough minutes on this show.
1: The Mojo Minute. I mean, we're not yelling fire in a theater here. With Jim Mojo
0: Morrison. Who the heck knows? This isn't an exact science.
1: Only on the weekend watchdogs. Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio.
2: Mojo!
0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono.
1: All right, we're back. Final segment. The number is 646 716 8187. And Joe, I, I was wondering here, you don't you haven't even brought up any of the excitement of uh, Selection Sunday coming up, the NCA tournaments coming up, we have all these New York teams, Sony Brooks playing as we speak, Manhattan Iona played the other night, St. Francis of Brooklyn had a tough loss, they almost made their first tournament. Saint John's is on the bubble and I have a feeling their loss in the Big East tournament has knocked them out.
2: Not not necessarily no, Duke, there
1: North is. Carolina. I St. don't John's think St. John's is make. still in.
2: They're gonna be a wow. uh, okay.
1: it's between a seven and a ten seed still. Although wow. it is unbelievable how poorly they play in the Big East tournament, considering they play on their home court. Lavin doesn't have a Big East tournament win. And yeah. It's astonishing. The Rams, the Fordham Rams won their first round matchup in the A 10 tournament. Fordham, <laughs> I heard the Fordham Rams, they had less than I mean, I'll give you credit on one thing. When I went to the Barclays Center to watch Fordham play Manhattan in December. They have some loyal fans show up to watch that awful basketball team. you got to be. So, look, Mike, when I was there, and it still exists, when I was there at Fordham and WFUV doing games, there would be message boards and – It was amazing how active the message boards were on every little thing about a recruiter during the game, in-game threads. People that are the fans of Florida Ram Basketball are passionate. I don't get it. I mean, obviously, I'm still a fan of the program and a fan of the school, and I'm following, but I only saw them once this year at the Garden when they played St. John's. I didn't get a chance to see them at Rose Hill. Um, but they actually played pretty well toward the end of the season. But I tell you what, there's two things I want to get to with Selection Sunday. The thing I'm excited about with Selection Sunday isn't even the selection part of it. It's the 30 for 30. I hate Christian Leitner. Oh, I am. I cannot. Wait now you know. That. Now you know our connection to Christian Leitner, right? That he blew us off last year. He blew us off. It was like a year and a half ago. So I'm gonna try. Here's my promise to you. See, it's not. This is a bad week because I remember when I did the. Um, the Spano interview, when he had the 30 for 30, when we were on the ESPN affiliate, like I think it helped being part of ESPN because he had a lot of interview requests. And a lot of people don't realize I was one of the first. I know Joe and Evan had him after. I was one of the few that got him on the air. I'll never get credit for that. I was the first to get Spano on the air. Now Boomer and Carton, not Francesa, me. And that's because I sold him on it and I had a conversation with him beforehand and let him know I'm not going to hurt him. Um, so Christian Leitner, I have his cell phone number. Should I call him at some point before the tournament is over? Then maybe we could even just pre-record an interview. Should I do that, or should we blow him off and say the heck with it? What do you think? <laughs> that's going to be our revenge. Is going to be blowing him off by yeah, yeah, not even really attempting to call him. Like that's our revenge. <laughs> I mean, you can give it a you shot. Know, I think. I think this is going to be a very this is going to be a very busy time for him right now. So I, I don't know exactly when between now and the end even of the year that it would be uh, be good. Not this week. Week after maybe say hey Christian you think you could do fifteen minutes we'll come at your convenience something like that it's you know? worth a shot I mean you use your magical touch or maybe it'll sprinkle some magic beans and pixie dust before pixie you make that dust. call and and, and see what happens for that I'm still waiting for that uh, I'm still waiting for that shirt to come out magic beans and pixie dust yeah. courtesy of the Isles Block. but I have to actually I have to DVR. Uh, that and I have to DVR a whole bunch of stuff because I'm off to London tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning. My entire wow. day on Sunday you're going to be hockey. on a plane. Uh, no, you. No, the uh, fans want to know: Are you going to make it next week? Or are you going to have to punt because you're going to be tired? You're getting back on Friday. I'll be back Friday. I get back Friday around twelve thirty in the afternoon because of the six-hour time difference coming back. Well, that's, that's, good. that's asking You'll a lot. You'll have to you send to me the back. minutes. You're going to have to send that me the minutes tough. of the week. Now, listen, I'll be able to, I'll be able to read the headlines. I'll, I'll make do. But you might have to you know, carry me a, a little bit, especially on the producing side. I'm not going to be able to kind of be booking guests, I don't think. Uh, we'll have next week but, this week. but listen, to your point, uh, it is somewhat problematic. A couple things. I'm, missing, I'm going to miss Election Sunday unless there's a TV on the uh, British Airways flight. Um, actually, what am I saying? I'm going to land 8 o'clock London time. It's only going to be 2 o'clock. Here, so be okay. I'm gonna be sleeping yeah. when I'm gonna be, no, be I'm sleeping, gonna be sleeping when... when Selection Sunday is happening. But um, but Thursday, I'm gonna be working all day long, tons of meetings, and that's like the most fun college basketball day of the year, along with Friday. And I was trying to explain some of my colleagues: one's coming from Hong Kong, one's from Paris, and the guys in the UK. I'm like, people don't do work in the office on this day. Every TV's changed <laughs> to CBS. And you kind of just have CBS Sports back up um, with the life. And they're like, what? Right. Why would people be care about amateur basketball? So I'm going to have to do some oh, education of, of college basketball while I'm there. Um, but h- hockey wise, Allen's schedule lightens up. So they I only miss like one game while I'm away. But the real problem is, Mike, I have to go to Brazil <laughs> in May. And if there That's are you're not gonna be able to playoff, playoff games, and if there are playoff wow. games, oof.
0: Now well, you want to give me
1: your tickets? You want to give me your well, tickets? I, checked. <laughs> Maybe. And the hat. I want him. the hat too. But in, the hat, yeah. but in Game Center, NHL Game Center does stream in Brazil. But Ooh. you know, the it's government has pocket. Tri- <laughs> <What government? laughs> I mean what government? Hey, I mean too busy. I was concerned yeah. about you. I was concerned about you in Mexico. I'm more concerned about you in Brazil. No, I'm going with a native. I'll be, I'll be fine. They, they'll, they'll, take care of me. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But yeah.
0: We have some action, and the Jet fans have woken up. Eric Mancini probably stared at that board and said, "What? Revis?" With the 14th pick in the 2007 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Darrell Revis.
1: In honor of Darrell Reeves coming home, Joe put together a little montage a la Carmelo Anthony from a few years ago so that when our buddy from North Carolina pops on and he's on with us now, Jim Mojo Morrison, it was an appropriate introduction this week, Jim. How you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing great. Mike, Stony Brook is up fourth a and half and 20 minutes away from uh, Denson. Uh, it's got to be pretty exciting up there uh, for the people of Long Island if the uh, Wolves get into the tournament this year. Yep,
1: with that new arena, with that new arena and everything, and Fordham who? Fordham who? Is that what I, what I hear? <laughs> yeah. You <know>? If only Atlantic <laughs> I mean, 10 is Stony Brook mojo. Uh, in the Atlantic 10 is the exact same as uh, where Stony Brook plays. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. So what's going on, Mojo? What are your thoughts from the week? Have you It's been a wild week. Nonetheless, uh, what are a, your thoughts?
0: It's been a very wild week. Um, I mean, just college basketball-wise, NFL-wise, I mean, I thought the Jets did as well as you can possibly do. Uh, during the course of this free agency period uh, and addressing needs. You know, the the perspective you've got to keep, though, is anybody that's ever made a big splash in free agency in the NFL has never really transcended on to the field to really have major success that year. So this would be a first for the team that makes the big splash to actually go out there and win, you know, where you just revamp an entire team based on free agency. Although the Jets do have a lot of, uh, you know, building blocks in place, you know, on the defensive line. They have a couple other assets there that they you know they, they needed to address this secondary issue, and the way Todd Bowles coaches uh, defense, unlike Rex, where Rex likes to put the square peg in the round hole, like, this is my system, and this is how I'm going to you know, make this thing work, and even if you can't cover you know, a bed with a blanket, you're still going to you know, be out there and exposed. Bowles makes the team geared to the talent he has, and this secondary, I mean, they've got an abundance of riches, like Joe pointed out. I mean, you've still got Milner, you've got Dexter McDougal, the kid that got hurt from Maryland on this roster, yep. uh, you know, Allen. I mean, they've got, like, eight, nine defensive backs. So he, I see Bowles, you know, obviously as a plan. And that was the reason why they went out and got all these defensive backs. But if I'm McKagan, I still go out and tempt chip Kelly. I say to him here, we'll swap number one picks this year. You give me a two this year, you one next year and Sam Bradford, and we'll give you the number six pick and see what Kelly does. I mean, Kelly's saying right now, he's not going to do that. He wouldn't mortgage, but you know, sometimes guys can't help themselves. This is the poker period before the draft where people, people. People are always downplaying guys. We don't like him. He's hurt. He's this. He's that. And then they wind up stepping up to get a guy. Um, I I would start there. And, you know, even if you just get a number one next year in Bradford out of the Eagles and then swap picks where you could shore up the offensive line with the 20th pick, I mean, the thing with the Jets is the only glaring weakness on this team right now, as Joe said, is the quarterback position. And I just don't want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick. The guy's never won more than six games in the course of an NFL season. He's had 54 fumbles in his career. His best season uh, back when he got the big contract with uh, the Bills, he had 23 interceptions to lead the NFL. And you know my feelings on Geno Smith. So I still think you need to go get something So, Mojo, let me ask you.
1: So let's say, well, first off, imagine if Chip Kelly actually traded Sam Bradford after Bradford actively recruited DeMarco Murray, his former Oklahoma teammate, to come to Philadelphia. But Let's say the Jets just hold on to the pick. Given what they've done in free agency addressing secondary, which was their most glaring hole, and the fact that they made the Brandon Marshall trade so the wide receiving core looks as good as it's been in recent memory, what position, if they just held on to the pick and it's not Mariota, where else should they be going with the uh, number six overall?
0: Well, I mean, it depends on what you want to do. I, I you know, you, I basically, the Jets need a, a, an edge pass rusher. They don't have a stud pass rusher. Sheldon Richardson is very good. Wilkerson is good, but they don't really have that J.J. Watt type of guy. Depends on what falls to them. I mean, it, you, can you get a Dante Fowler Jr. out of Florida? Can you get a, um, a Shane Ray out of Missouri? I mean, one of those guys is going to be available. Uh, the kid from uh, Clemson is pretty good, uh, too. I uh, I forget his name, uh, Vic Beasley. He's very good. Uh, you know, do they want to go and just make this defense that good where it's a lights-out defense and they just go out and just try, you know, try to win like the Ravens did uh, back with Trent Dilfer running the show at quarterback and just you know, give up eight points a game, nine points a game? Do you maybe take a, a white from uh, West Virginia or a Cooper uh, and basically shore up, you know, I mean, do you pat, you know, the wide receiver core, or do you wait till the second round for that? Do you go for the offensive line? I mean, one of the things the Jets are very weak on is guard. I mean, they got Carpenter from Seattle, which is a great upgrade. They're bringing Cologne back. But if you're going to go back with Cologne or Winter starting at one of your guard positions, maybe you go with the kid uh, from Iowa, Shrepp as your, uh, you know, as your pick there, uh, you know, it's just what, you're wanting to address I mean do you want to go with a lights out defense go with the edge pass rusher those guys are hard to get go, you know on an outside linebacker type guy if you want to shore up the line get the stud you know offensive lineman or do you want to like get the, the premier wide receiver and, and basically give yourself you know three four you know great wide receivers you know depending on how you feel Brandon Marshall is going to play for you so it's kind of like you got to see what's available for you how your board is rated and, and what you want to do I, so I wouldn't say you know lock into any one particular thing and you know and also take offers to see where people are, are offering to trade up if somebody wants to trade up maybe go down like parcels would do go down to 10th get your lineman, and get a couple of extra draft picks so i think you could do a lot of different things with that six pick
1: now now mojo you have to take joe to task now that we're both on for last week where how he could not do a show last week have you on and not talk syracuse scandal and violations Bad job, to quote the Mad Dog on that. What happened there, Joe? How can you not talk to the expert from Syracuse about the Syracuse, which the Syracuse violations, which became a national some people, some people see a wound and choose to throw salt in it others <laughs> see a move and want to watch a you,
0: know, you are amazing, Joe. I, I, I expect, I you know, I was like, Joe would sit there. I said, you know, he may come at me, throw darts at me. But then I said, like, you know what? But Joe's not like that. Joe, likes I to, he's darts. a very, very, he, he's a, well, I know Mike would. Mike would throw vinegar on me. You know what, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yep. hundred percent. He's get his no, thoughts
2: uh,
0: now. I mean, now, I mean,
1: it's a tough situation, oh, tough. one that was coming. And you just hope that, uh, I mean, does this, shame Beheim long-term in your mind? Or is it just, you know, an unfortunate, an unfortunate situation that's – the, uh, the thing uh, is,
0: guys, they're going to appeal this thing. I, I, I told Mike – I had this information like four years ago. Somebody, you know, told me what was coming down the pike, and the NCAA really had it in for beheim and they really wanted to go after the program. I mean, it took them eight years to come to this conclusion. So, you know, anybody that, you know, has a big-time athletic program – and I'm not – a two wrongs of the right guy, but you know, it's like what Michael Corleone said to Senator Geary in The Godfather. You know, we're all part of the same hypocrisy, Senator. You know, so don't sit there and judge me because, you know, it, for what I do, because you're part of the same hypocrisy. The one thing I hold them to task for is the drug de- uh, testing. If you're going to have it and your players are not passing, you've got to do something about it. As far as like guys getting papers done for them, it's impossible for coaches to monitor that 100%. You, you, or a guy giving a Hit an envelope at the YMCA. I mean, you're only allowed three hours with these guys, and you know the 21 other hours that these guys are running around doing different types of things. It, it, it's like impossible for any one human being to monitor 20 year old kids, 19 year old kids, when he's not, you know, they're not in his presence, you know, 20 hours a day. And that's why I, I just find it's unfair for any college coach to be held to that kind of accountability. Um, on they kids do like create
1: that. the culture, though. They do create the culture, mm-hmm. and that, it's hard to. To, it's hard to
0: imagine that there
1: are things happening illegally against NCAA rules without Beheim at least knowing or if he wanted to know he would have found out. So it's kind of that whole Penn State University type I, scenario I think about more, ignorance. More importantly is more importantly, if Nick Costos is going to be on the bachelor next year, I think Jim Mojo Morrison should be on the bachelor next year. We need to get him oh, wow. we need to get him. We'll get Jim on the bachelor. What about that mojo?
0: Hey, I'm I'm up for anything. I, I mean, at this point, hey, it, what the heck? I mean, uh, my girl Ashley <laughs> is is is, is, in, is in Vanity Fair and Cosmopolitan and stuff like that. I mean, she was doing I Jets just Insider can't. with us last year, and now she's on the in national magazines and stuff like that. So, she was so on our our New Year's show. She was on our yeah. New Year's show first,
1: so I could always make the claim to fame there.
0: I just can't, like, I want to see people.
1: Mojo. Mojo with the tux on, waiting as the limo pulls up and the doors open, the women get out and they gaze upon Mojo. That's that, that the one that be he instant picks, ratings for AJ. And the one that he picks will be wearing a Geno Smith jersey. That's all I think. <laughs> Mojo? Mojo, appreciate it. We got to run. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. All right?
0: All right. Enjoy the college basketball and Joe have safe travels.
1: That's, Take care, uh, Mojo. Thank Jim you. Mojo, Mojo, Morrison.
2: Joe we're out of time Two hours is not
1: enough After being away next week You should have done four tonight And made up for it But I think you've had Just about <laughs> enough of me I want to thank uh, Nick Costos, Sirius XM Check him out on Twitter At The Costos. Of course you can listen to the show live Or on replay At weekendwatchdope.com Check me out on Twitter At Mike Media And check out Joe At At J Bono 611 Safe travels across the pond Joe Tally ho Thank you sir I'll have a bloody good time see you I will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Cheers.